Hi, everybody. Welcome to Artifice episode 171. My interview with my dear, beautiful friend, Jennifer Madsen. I have known Jennifer for a kind of a long time. Um, and you know, when I'm, when I'm working on the podcast and I'm trying to decide who to interview, it's a weird thing. I wait sometimes for like a gut instinct. So like sometimes what will happen is I'll meet someone new and I'll just have the feeling that the best way to like get to know this person better, like you know, is to have them on the podcast right away. And sometimes I do that. Um, obviously sometimes, you know, I just like find someone's work and I don't know anything about the person, but I'm like, whoever made this thing, I want to know more. And then sometimes with people who I already know, people who maybe I knew before I started the podcast or people who I, you know, meet, you know, organically, um, in my life, who I think, you know, eventually this person's going to be on the podcast. I sometimes I just wait until I have just this feeling like it's time. And for Jennifer, I think I just was waiting until I just felt like I understood her like beautiful, mysterious artistry well enough to really ask the right questions. Um, and so, you know, it was such a gift to have Jen on the podcast. She is such a masterful vocalist and storyteller. She's an incredible actress. Um, I mean, really just so moving. I've never seen or heard Jen sing and not like felt moved, um, usually to tears. Um, I can't think of a time that I didn't cry while listening to Jen sing, you know, a, a set of music. And in addition to being such a masterful vocalist and storyteller, Jennifer is an incredible teacher. Um, you know, and the longer that I'm kind of doing this work on, on the podcast and also just the work that I'm doing, you know, in my life, um, the more that I just think, learning to be an artist is so crucial, is just critical for our well-being. Now, whether we study this formally or, you know, it's kind of like a, a more informal, just uh, curiosity or kind of self-exploration, um, you know, that that is up to the individual. Obviously, all of it's up to the individual. But I do think there's something really valuable about just listening to art teachers talk about art. If, you know, taking lessons isn't something that you have, you know, the bandwidth or interest in, um, gosh, like there is some real wisdom, like in this interview from Jen. So um, hopefully you will just take full advantage of that and let yourself be, uh, let yourself, you know, kind of be, um, your mind be opened or let yourself be kind of transported. Um, and of course, Jennifer's voice, just her speed voice is also so gorgeous. As I was re-listening and taking notes, I just, I kept writing. I love her voice. Um, just such a beautiful, beautiful speaking voice. So as per usual, um, next Tuesday, we're off. So, um, if you're, if you're kind of, you know, new to the podcast or, um, or if, you know, it's maybe been a while since I've said it, the way that I handle the schedule is I release three episodes a month, the first three Tuesdays of the month. Um, and so next week, uh, next week we're off and I'll just, I'll be doing some editing. Um, so yeah, but starting in March, um, the first interview for March, first guest for March will be, um, dancer Joey Anderson. So you can kind of get excited for that. We've got a dancer coming up. Um, all right. I don't think I have anything else that I want to announce. I'm just busy making as much art as I can in my own life and, you know, juggling as many projects um, as I can. My friends are always telling me that I'm working too much and it's probably true, but the truth is I love all of my projects so much. I can't 
possibly imagine how I could let go of any of them. So um, my big project for this year is trying to create more efficiency where I can to see if I can just summon more hours in the day um, by, by taking all the work that I'm doing and just making it a little faster. So um, if you feel like it. I'll keep you posted on that. Maybe let me know. Actually, while I'm saying this, I might as well say it's been a while um, since I've since I've said, if you're listening to the podcast, please leave a review or send me a message. Um, I so rarely hear from anyone who's listening. I can see that you're listening. I can see the listens racking up, but I really have no idea who's on the other end. So if you're enjoying the podcast, um, you're listening, you're liking it, please send me a message and let me know what episodes you're enjoying, what you'd like more of. Um, you know, feedback is always really helpful so that I can, you know, try to make, um, this project serve everyone better. Um, okay. That's all. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about Jennifer now. Jennifer Madsen is a prized fixture on performing stages of the West. A lifelong singer and actress, her early career included being a cast member of Brigham Young University's famed performing group, The Young Ambassadors. That experience founded her love of the art and afforded her the chance to sing, dance, and act for audiences around the globe. Using her strong foundational understanding for the craft, Jennifer left BYU and began to formally instruct students in all areas of performing. Her students from these early days have gone on to lead successful careers as Tony, Grammy, and Emmy award-winning artists. See, like I said, an incredible teacher. Her celebrated instruction continues to this day as part of Snow College's award-winning music department. Her recent studies include spending several summers in New York City, completing her professor's certification in the Margolis Method for acting. Her continued studies in this methodology infuse her vocal performance studio with techniques and tools for helping musicians and performers to connect viscerally with their music, lyrics, and performance. Jennifer's accomplishments run deep as a producer, director, studio session singer, and choreography. And in Jen's bio, which I'll put in the show notes, um, you can see a, a very, very full and wonderful list of said productions. Aside from her many lauded achievements, Jennifer has never lost sight of the passion rooted in all of her life's work, performing what she loves for the people she loves. She has had the privilege of doing so with the Spokane Jazz Orchestra, the Timpanogos Symphony Orchestra, Salt Lake Choral Artists, the Utah Valley Symphony, and on numerous albums, including work with Kenneth Cope. Recently, Jennifer completed a lifelong goal of performing at Jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City, where she sang at the famous Dizzy's Jazz Club. Club, to the delight of fans, friends, and family. Jennifer is a sought-after clinician and presents vocal and performance workshops all over the world. And she's also one of my favorite people who's alive, one of my best friends. I'm so glad to have Jennifer in my life. And I know you are going to love this interview. Here comes. Great art almost feels like magic. It opens our minds to brand new ideas and teaches us to see ourselves and our world more clearly. Of course, behind all great art, there are artists, and I think that's where the real magic happens. As we go beneath the art itself to explore how artists do what they do, we see glimpses of the sorts of creativity and resilience that lead to the art that moves our world. And maybe we can learn to borrow some of that magic for our own thinking. That's the goal here. And now that we're on the same page, let's dive in. I'm Emily Merrill, and this is Artifice. Oh, now look at us. Now we're, it's like we're in a queen-size bed together. Yes. <laughs> <clears throat> Heavy in moments. 
I know I like it. it. There is something very intimate about the headphones. It's like we're right in each other's ears. Yeah, yeah right there. I kind of like it though. It's like I'm. It's like I'm driving down the road talking to Emily. Yes, and you are down life's road. <laughs> down life's road in my car. Well, Jen, I always like to start from the beginning because yeah. I find that if I can understand the kind of creative origins, I could ask better questions of like okay. the adult musician next to me. So the things that I'm um, specifically curious about with the childhood are, are kind of two things. I'm curious about what's kind of innate. So like, you know, your very earliest creation uh, expressions of creativity Let's start there and then I'll ask the other one. Oh, that's hilarious. So, like what were just like, what was this, what was the kind of earliest evidence that you were I think I, I went around to the neighborhood and collected 25 cents from everybody because I was going to do a neighborhood newspaper. I love it. And it was before copy machines. That's how old I am. You know, you had those ditto things that you could make, but I had this brainstorm that I could do this neighborhood. I was, I was probably eight oh, or nine, it. went around and collected quarters from everybody, then came home and started to figure out what I would write on this paper. And oh. I was handing handwriting every one of them and yeah. it was taking so long and I thought 25 cents is not, not enough, enough for what I'm doing <laughs> so and funny. I went to my mom and I said I collected you know three dollars so I've got to make these 12 newsletters and it's really hard mom I don't know how I'm going to do it I don't know if I'm going to be able to and she goes well then go take the 25 cents back to everybody. Yeah. Did you do that? So I did. <laughs> and I went door to door and I said, it was harder than I thought. Here's your 25 I cents. And I think there were like three people that let me keep my 25 cents, but that, that was so it. Funny. But that was, you know, I just, the idea of, I wanted to, you know, and I think it's like a community thing. I'm like yeah. a, I'm like you a, are. I'm a community person. I'm like, Hey, let's, let's all get together and do something. I'm so beautiful. glad you said that because one of the reasons why I feel like I have waited a little while to interview you, even though we've been friends since I started this podcast, is because sometimes like I feel like I'm still getting to know like what your mediums are because <laughs> you obviously you're a singer and you're a great teacher and you're a performer. You, you know, are an actor, um, an, an actor singer, um, but also you do a lot of kind of business kind of creativity. I am a left and right brained individual yeah. and I've, I've kind of figured that out young that I have yeah. this business, savvy. this business side of me. And then I have this artistic side of me. And the community thing is clearly such a pull as well. Yeah, it is. And mentoring, you know, at one point I thought, you know, what am, am I, what do I want to be? I'm, what do I want to be when I grow up? Yeah. And I'm, I want to be everything I still am and I don't want to eliminate anything. And so I tend to have too many hands, and irons, too, many pies. too many irons in the fire. You know, too I'm many cut from the in. same cloth as you girl. I know. Um, yeah. Well, and like I said, I mean, I, like I said, before we started recording, like I really, I want so badly to like be able to ask my guests the questions that will show like how truly sparkly of a person they are. <laughs> and I feel like I just have felt like I've been like just paying attention and just like studying you for a couple oh, of you're years. So funny. Hopefully I can like, hopefully I can get well, to the bottom of something. I'm funny because I have a production brain that knows how to execute a project yeah. and all the details. And I know how to map things out and get things done and keep on top of things. And yeah. that permeates throughout everything that I do. But when I get into creative mode mm. sometimes I want someone else to take care of those details for a moment yeah and so a lot of times like when I was living in Los Angeles I did a ton of 
um, choreography or mm. staging or cool. musically directing. And, and I didn't want to deal with getting everyone to rehearsal right. or, uh, you know, it was like, show up and let me, do they feel separate to mode. you? Like the creative thing and the production thing? Like, do you feel like you kind of, you don't like to do them together? Um, I feel like when I'm in super creative mode, I, I like a sidekick that's very organized mm-hmm. with me. Mm. And so I have these lovely people in my life that I've had throughout the years yeah. that I call my, my production people yeah, that are, and a lot of them have been women, which has been awesome that like to be organized. They're very creative and talented people themselves, but they recognize that I work, I work best when I'm not having to deal with details yeah. when I'm doing, when you're doing, when like I'm more doing creative something stuff. more creative stuff. There's like so. stuff that's vision and then there's stuff that's execution Yes, and it's best that they don't be the same yeah gen, but, and yet the same project. like when I did my when I've recorded and produced things when I even produced my own album I found myself in one of you know in one mode or the other one box or the other yeah. whatever you want to call it yeah. and sometimes it would take me a while to go okay I gotta get into production mode that's so relatable you know? I feel so the same way like I have to switch I have yeah. to like and sometimes I'll organize it like on you know on like a Tuesday I'm gonna be creative brain and I'm gonna try to do like I've got you know six different projects and each of those projects maybe has some creative things that I need to do and I'm going to try to do all that stuff like today, you know, yes, yes. and then like, I'm going to try to do all my like busy work the next day. And I'm going to try to do my like non busy production execution stuff. You know, I try I know. to like harness the brain that I and have. I, yeah. Cause switching is really difficult. Well, and I find if I outline, like I can take a project, I think I start in production mode always. I'm always mm-hmm. in linear logic, um, mode where I'm trying to get, what are all the little puzzle pieces that yeah. need to be, and, and so I'll write satisfying. them, I'll write them all out and they'll, they'll all be there. And then that's my, that's my map while I'm being creative. And so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll step away from that, be creative and do these other things. And then a, like you say, yeah. a day will come or a moment comes when I think, okay, I've got to, I've got this, got to register these songs. I've got to yeah. do this. I've got to check with publishing rights. I've got to, yes. you know, well, and sometimes like lately, especially when my, when I've booked I booked myself so full during like, you know, this phase in my life that sometimes I feel like I need to try to explain to people like that brain that I need in order to do this project. I might not have it for like 10 days. I know. You know, like (laughs) I, I just trust me that like this will be the most efficient if you don't make me do this work on a day that I don't have the brain for it. I know. (laughs) And I'll get in in cycles too, where I'm like, like this week, for instance, um, here we are on Friday. And I spent Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, really focusing on the linear stuff on the, on the production end of making lists and, you know, trying to get things together. And then Thursday hit and I was just like, I didn't want to create and I didn't want to be linear. I just wanted to be, you know, a wife and, and, and watch my grand puppy and my, and my own puppy. On Sunday, I watched like eight hours of TV, but I, I'm still, then I start transitioning. Yeah. So it's like those days, there's like transition days where I'm not focused on anything and I'm letting everything just kind of soak in. Yes. I'm a, I used to think of myself as a procrastinator, but I'm not, I'm a over planner who doesn't like to execute mm. until all my ducks are in a row yes. and then it just spills out very quickly. Yeah. So I might spend two weeks thinking about something mm. and within an hour 
I totally get that. Lay it out. Yeah. Yeah. But I, but I, and, and I, I told Kevin, I said, I, I feel like I procrastinate. And he goes, no, you don't. You talk to me about the stuff all the time. And yeah. you're like, you're, you're like skimming. having these conversations and you're dreaming and you're bringing up all these ideas. And yeah. then when you're ready, it just flows out that's of a, you. Where, that's amazing. You know, so that's really validating of him to say that. He seems like he's great. He seems like he really gets you. Yeah. <laughs> he does. Which is awesome. He's, yeah. Yeah. I, I totally get that. And I, I feel like the phase that I'm in and I'm, I'm trying to be in right now is like, learning to trust those instincts and trying to build my life in a way that I can trust those instincts and I can kind of like let myself like, you know, yeah. Cause sometimes like, I mean, I, I watched all of season two of the bear on Sunday, but you know, that's <laughs> art intake. Like sometimes I just, you just gotta be inspired. <laughs> sometimes you just oh, need to like, literally you know? I was watching some show last night and, and I looked at, oh, it was only Murders in the Building yeah, with Meryl Streep. But it's I haven't the, caught uh, up yet. It was the very first episode of season three. And I just watched this actress that I admire yeah. so much and her skill set and was trying to dissect every beautiful thing she does. Mm. And I know it, it seems instinctual, but I know she's a craftsperson. She has worked her life right. to to do this so beautifully. And I just watched... In awe, I almost wanted to watch rewatch the episode because I don't do even it. know if I got the whole storyline. Yeah. I was just so busy and oh, entranced Jen, with so her. So relatable. I love hearing you say that. Oh, I, I have I have to watch a movie thing. three or four times before I've actually watched a movie because <laughs> I'll just get so talking, fixated on like the voice acting, or uh, yeah, or I'll get fixated on this, you know, the props and the scenery, yes. and I'm like, oh my gosh, look at this. Who's a set designer? And I wait till the end and find out who the set designer was, and or I'll look at the lighting and go, oh, yeah. who's a cinematographer? Photographer. They just yes. captured this cool Ooh, vibe. And, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that. So where did that like kind of observational, like taking in details, like kind of asking questions, what's the origin of like that in your, in your youth? You know, my mom was a Martha Stewart. Let's okay. just say that, that every, there was not a lesson that she taught at church that wasn't a production of, mm. of, of everything. It was yeah. how the room looked, how the handouts were. She'd spent hours. I mean, our our house was compartmentalized with different projects she had going on cool. that were like, she, she did a book club and the book club, yeah. when it was her turn to host it. Oh my Beautiful goodness. Desserts. It was the most, well, not yeah. even, not only the food was awesome, but the table <laughs> was to dive. My, I think my daughters kind of have that gift too, where they, they visually, it's the aesthetic of Walking is, into the moment is just as important as the details of the moment. Yes. You know? Well, that totally, I, I think I have a theory about this. It's like something that I've been kind of thinking about for the last year or so. Um, I have a theory that Mormon women like have all of this like exuberant. I mean, maybe not, certainly not everyone, but it's definitely like a thing that happens where we have this like exuberant artistry and like, uh, you know, a desire to like create and to kind of lead and like have ownership and it gets a little like siloed and it comes out in like these exact these ways. weird moments. Like right? I really, I think it does. I mean, I think it's kind of amazing. Like, you know, a table spread or like a floral arrangement or like these perfect handouts. And it's like, there's, it's, to me, it feels like a testament that like creativity, like it needs its outlet. Yes. Well, and, and the funny thing for me is as much as I grew up with everything being like that, when I go to do a presentation, sometimes 
I like to strip it down and say, can I be everything oh, yeah. in front of these people and, and educate them and mentor them and without any support Love. behind me, can yeah. I just, can it just be me? Can yeah. everything that every movement I make or eye contact, can I be, can I be enough on the stage it? to yeah. pull Some them in. in and have them feel like, man, that was inspiring. And there wasn't a single table decoration, you know, I totally, so, I totally so there's get a part that. of me that, that yeah. I'm like the anti-Martha sometimes when I just, I just want to show up and well, go, you're a performer, <laughs> you know, it's a different medium, but I, I really, I feel like I understand that too. Like there is something, well, I always tell my students, you know, like what we're doing as singers is giving our audiences permission to feel something that isn't actually contextually happening. Yes. And so you're summoning like joy or you're summoning grief or you're summoning, and that's very powerful. It's like an addicting thing. Well, you know? art, art in and of itself to me is a way for us to experience the fullness of emotions without having to go through the actual events yeah. that might cause those emotions. Right. So we can sit in the theater and watch something beautiful that and poignant that just makes us so sad for that character. And we can feel as if we are that character and feel that sadness yeah. without having to have experienced a grief, a, a personal grief, a personal grief. Yeah. And yet we can still feel empathy and yes yeah, that's what and that's what art, art is helping us feel we yeah. are we are so westernized and closed off you know we're, we're not as bad as other cultures are about being very stoic and and not allowing our inside world to sure. be shown Americans are a bit more yeah. loud know, we want to yeah. be more you know yeah. where the italians might be a little bit more <laughs> You know, Americans do suppress certain things, though, oh, like yes. America, especially. I mean, I think America is very angry <laughs> like right we, now. <laughs> yeah. We, I mean, I think I want to heal the world. Ways, yeah. I know, I know, I <laughs> world peace, way. please. Um, but I think there is a lack of vulnerability there. It's like when ang when you go to anger so quickly, like what do they say? Anger is usually like a secondary yeah, emotion. Exactly. And like usually Why there's are something you angry. Right. The questions we want to ask. OK, and you're upset. What is Americans upsetting are you? And what's terrible. And then it's usually nothing about what they're really even right. dealing with. It's like I see. Dinner last so much. Totally. Um, yes. I want to hear all your thoughts. Okay. <laughs> let's, so we, we have a little snapshot of your mom. What about dad? Is dad doing oh, creative my stuff? Dad, yeah. My dad and I were very close. I was a daddy's girl. That's for sure. Um, I'm the middle child. Okay. I had an older brother and sister who were nine and six years older than I was. And then my dad, my dad grew up in Kenosha, Utah. Um, uh, the son of a farmer, you know, the cool. expectation is you go into something, something in that field. Well, my dad, I don't know. He just, I think he was, he, he had a vision of going out into the world. Mm -hmm. And so after he cool. served, he served a mission down in four corners area. I think it was the Denver mission, but it took in New Mexico and okay, cool. all of that. And so, um, he came home and then did I think he served in the Korean War, wow. and um, my mom and my dad were married at this time, and and I, I'm not even sure what department I I should have done. 
I should have looked into it again, but I, I, I do know somewhere in my brain yeah. what it was. But open the they file. Were, they were at the Presidio in um, San Francisco, and my mother would see. Um, top secret papers come in at the mm. beginning. She was the beginning step of this procedure oh. that it would go through this office. And wow. my dad was at the end and they had to get oh. special clearance because they were married oh. to have them both have access to these papers. So Whoa. it was kind of fun. They were um, for the mil- for like the government. Yeah. It okay. was like, you know, it wow. was like, um, yeah, it was, he was not, um, in the battlefield, but yeah. I think they were using his brain. He was sure. a very smart man. Yeah. Anyway, he went on to become a dentist. Okay. And ended up settling in, um, setting up his practice in Sacramento, cool. California. And I was the post-dental school child, oh, well, yeah. followed by two younger brothers that were born. We were born in three consecutive years. So, Oh my gosh, they were my, in a hurry. Yeah, my one brother's 11 months younger than I am, and the other one's like, two and a half years. So like in three consecutive years, we were born. So I was like the mother of these little boys, of these, of these boys. And I still feel this, Mm -hmm. this need to always be there for them and and want to make sure their lives are okay. And my brother and sister were like another family that existed before. Um, the older ones. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? We have kind of a similar thing in my family. Um, obviously my family is just like a mess in many ways, but Um, I have a brother who's just younger than me. And when we were growing up, our parents like didn't have a lot of money. We were like very frugal. There was a definite sense of like rigidity in the family that like my two younger siblings, which are quite a bit younger, they grew up with like in a wealthy family, you know, there's, (laughs) and then like, we feel different about it. It's like, you know, Blake and I were like, um, yeah, my dad was just building his practice and kind of figuring it out. And then my, my, the, the brother who's just younger than Blake, or I guess he's like five or six years younger. He was born like maybe a year before my parents like built their first, like nice house. Right. So yeah, we, the, the other two of us remember living in like a small place and, and the younger two, they've only ever lived in like a nice neighborhood, you know? Yes. So sometimes even now it's like, there's stuff that we're like, feel different about, but yeah, it's funny. It's funny in one family, you can have different parents, different experiences. Different, yeah. But I remember growing up, um, and just being free to just, oh, the whole neighborhood was our playground yeah. and everyone was out in the streets with their bikes and we were riding through, Vibrant. you know, going to the Creek and, you know, riding down. I mean, I don't know if I would have, in fact, I did not because I, when I was raising, first raising my kids, I was living in Los Angeles. You don't let your kids go anywhere outside. I mean, like even learning to ride a bike was a major ordeal because dangerous. you're not going to ride your bike anywhere unless I'm with you. You know, it's like, you know, just a whole different world, but we would go out and spend hours and my mother had the loudest whistle (laughs) and she would go outside when dinner was ready and we would hear it from miles. You could hear my mother's whistle and we'd all go, Oh, that's my mom. That means we need to come home and we'd all come home and, and dinner would be ready on the table and we'd all eat, you know, we ate dinner together and just, I, we, Oh, hilarious. So speaking of early things, yeah, my mom and dad used to be the advisors for the, I think it was called M men and gleaners. Okay. Oh my gosh. It was like the young single adults, um, 
of, of the, yeah, yeah, but they called it this strange name. I don't, the gleaners are coming, you know, whatever. <laughs> so they would have 20 people over on a Tuesday night and they would send us off into their bedrooms to create a show. <laughs> and we would have an hour and a half to create a show that we would present at the end of this meeting. They'd have, well, it, my mom was genius. It was like, what would get these kids out of the way without oh, having to get a babysitter? So and she'd send us back and we would create these elaborate shows where we were lip syncing and dancing to Broadway show. You know, my mother played Broadway. We woke up to, you know, it's Oklahoma or you. Sound of Music. Yeah, it was like it. all those musicals. Oh, Thoroughly Modern Millie. I had every song memorized and I had choreography I had done for it. And <laughs> I'm, I'm under seven. And I remember creating shows and then they would all sit down and watch us at the end. And we put on this 15 minute presentation. <gasps> and isn't that wow. crazy? I think my mother must have told them, hey, they're going to work on a show and keep out of our hair yeah. for an hour and a half. And you guys have to promise me you'll stay yeah. and watch them perform. So I think we might have grown up in this feeling like everyone wants to see us perform, sure, right? Probably a We're lot ready. of your confidence comes from that. That's so interesting. <laughs> Very young. I have so many questions about that. But first, can you tell me like the ways in which you've, your relationship with your dad or like things that come from him affect your creativity? Like how does like you know, things about your dad, like relate to your creativity? I think both of my parents empowered me mm. to, to work on my talents cool. and, and like all of my, my dad being a dentist, you know, you'd think, Oh, he's got a lot of money. Everything's, you know, but he put every penny back into us as kids. We, I had lessons cool. growing up. I remember starting piano lessons probably in second grade and took them until I was 24. So mm -hmm. I've, you know, studied piano with different piano teachers. Cool. Some, some gave me some magical experiences and, yeah. uh, you know, I still believe I still they taught you carry to, their like, mentorship. That's beautiful. Yeah. They taught you to like value creativity and oh, value yes. art. That's I mean, huge. I, I would spend, like, I remember in high school, I remember having voice lessons and a dance class on Monday. And then Tuesday was, you know, I'd, I'd have to, um, you know, we'd have a youth group meeting that night or something. And then, but I was practicing all day long. And then I'd take another dance class on Wednesday. And then Thursday I had rehearsal for four hours. And then, and yeah. then Saturday all day, I was yeah. from 7am until wow. three in the afternoon. That's I was amazing. in rehearsals, dance classes, a couple dance classes. So, you know, it'd be 15 to 20 hours a week. Yeah. That's all I did. Building your skill That set. was all I did. Cool. And Today, when I talk to students and they get overwhelmed with just a few hours of this mm -hmm. and that, I just, I look at them and I go, do you well, even like this? Do you want to? That's really how I feel. <laughs> Cause I'm the same way. Like I was, I mean, my parent, my parents weren't, it sounds like as involved as yours were, but I was obsessive and yeah, sometimes my students, when they complain about the practicing they're doing, I'm like, do you like this? Yeah. Like, this why are you doing this? You can't you want to be famous sick of it so because quickly. it's not about being famous. It's about expressing yourself and connecting. It really isn't about the money. Yes. And so it's like your skill set. You know, I, my colleague at Snow College, Brian Stuckey, we talk about this all the time because mm. he was kind of raised like yeah. I was just totally immersed in lessons yeah. and practicing and perfection and trying to get everything right. And 
and we don't get the mindset of someone who feels like a few hours is overwhelming when we gave yes 20 to 30 hours a week yes. to our craft and for our art decades. and our learning for decades. Yeah. I mean, it's like Crazy. still. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel that way all the time. Like my students will look me in the eye sometimes and say something to me that I'm like, think it through, you know, yes. like they'll be like, but I'm sick of this song. And I'm like, what do you think is going to happen if like your dreams come true and you're famous, you're going to be singing the same stuff for 30 for, years. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm like, if you're getting sick of this because we've been working on it for like three weeks, you might be, you might be in the wrong profession here. Yeah. You might be in the wrong major, you know, but yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I do think, well, I feel pretty like radical acceptance about creativity. There's so many ways it happens, but I do sometimes think like, I feel like you're lacking a little self-awareness here, you know, <laughs> like have a little introspection. Um, it sounds like your parents really taught you to take pride in your, in your work as a child and to like value that there was that there was value there. Oh, they had us, they had us perform. And I, you know, I'm talking about having people watch us, but I just growing up, anyone that came to our house at the very end of their visit, my parents would ask us to perform for who it's was cool. there. I mean, that happened it's very British. my whole life. It's not yeah. funny. Yeah. And like it would be like people be visiting, they go, the piano forte. Yes. And yeah. And, and, and <laughs> Hey kids, why don't you do that song you've been working on? And my brothers, yeah. I had a brother that played drums and another play brother who played guitar. And I was, I played piano and we'd sing and we would put on, you but, know, we'd have a few numbers that whenever anyone came over, oh, let's do that number. We've are been either playing. of your parents musicians? They both have beautiful voices, but cool. they weren't, um, I don't, they didn't grow up quote yeah. unquote performers or even really focusing on. They just value it. Yeah. And they and just, and my you kids had an affinity for those things. My dad's mother, Grace Stott from Kanash, Utah, mm -hmm. was a big band Grace George Stott. Yeah, she played Ooh, the piano back in the 30s and 40s, and so and it's in there. She was she was the big band player that did all of the all of the events around cool. probably central. Well, that Utah. explains your dad. I mean, he, his <laughs> mother's giving him this this pride in this thing, really teaching him to value it. And even though like he's not becoming a professional musician, he's he's valuing that yeah. as like a a really um, high endeavor. Um, that's something, you know, I, I'm always fascinated by this because my parents also put us in a lot of lessons, but it's, they didn't value the thing. It was like, this is so that you will be good. Um, you know, good, good, proud children, you know, and like also, you know, college applications. Like it was very like, this is what a good proper family does. They put their kids in piano. Mm -hmm. They do, you know, summer theater camp. Um, but th there was never a real sense of, um, value in the actual art, which always puzzled me, yeah. you know, like I felt very puzzled by that as a child, but it yeah. sounds like your parents were actually invested oh. in the art and they came to every performance. I remember That's my amazing. parents was, and my dad, here's a hilarious thing. <clears throat> you remember those, um, but you wouldn't because you're too young, but, but legs, L-E-G-G, -G, well, whatever it was, but they had came in these little Easter eggs. Oh yeah. Oh Tights. yeah. It's tight. I remember. Yeah, yeah. But there were the nylons that I loved to perform in. They were kind of like, sheer. you know, sheer, whatever they were. They were yeah, so cool. Beautiful. But they would run and yeah. I would be doing something all of a sudden before a show, I'd realize 
I had to run in my tights and I'd inevitably call my dad and say, Hey, on your way to the show, can you pick, it, some nail pick me up my nylon? <laughs> oh. No, pick me up some nylon. <laughs> you need new ones. And he'd bring a couple pairs backstage to me before Cute. the show. And it, it happened so much that I stopped even asking him because he just came to every show with That's some nylons. Darling. And Good then job, dad. I, I remember performing, um, at the homecoming spectacular back in 1980, yeah, my yeah. dad and they came and I was being featured as a soloist there. And my cool. dad, my dad came backstage with, with the nylons. Cause it was just like our <laughs> thing That's so sweet. to have those nights. But my dad ended up producing my first album. He was an executive producer. He, he put the money together and, oh, and that's amazing. Yeah. And that album is 40, it's 40 years this and, and I'm re-releasing it this year. It's going to be Dude, so cool. on Spotify and, yeah. and Apple and all that music. So I'm I'm just in the works of getting it all, um, you know, re-releasing it. Oh, I should say. So it's amazing. been 40 years, but what I have these honor. people in Europe that keep yeah. writing me letters going, "This album, where do we find it? Can we get this album? We love it. It's kind of it's kind of wow. new again. It's like yeah. the, the music is what people you are know, listening to. Uh, do you know Alan fun. Michael? saxophone player here no i don't he had he re-released an album recently and like kind of had like a little wave of like kind of fame <laughs> like he released an old <laughs> album so i don't know maybe that will happen to you too i know wouldn't that be funny that'd be cool consider yeah, me like Look for consider me i forget exactly <laughs> what it was but like some big things happened for him that are i got a massage yesterday and i have like a bruise uh-oh from it it was so good the massage it was, was a trigger so good. point massage yeah because i hold so much tension in my hands oh, as i'm sure you do yeah, yeah playing piano all the time um and so some guy forearm looking like yeah well i just like touched it and i was like why is that Ooh, bruising? Why, why is that why is that um, blue <laughs> it is a little green um Okay. So now let's talk about, you know, if you're looking out from your eyes as a child, like maybe just kind of going from like an older child through your teens, just, I'd love to hear you talk about how your own creativity was developing, like how you started thinking of yourself as an artist, how you started like, um, you know, becoming a more technical musician, dancer, like just talk to me about your kind of evolution, like as a creative up until college. I, I felt as a child that I had a natural gift for singing mm -hmm. and, um, and there was, um, and it was reinforced when I performed because people, mm. people would give me that kind of feedback. And I was asked to solo a lot in productions or I would keep getting the leads in the plays or I would do, um, you know, whenever I performed, I just kind of felt like I was getting that kind of feedback that you're on the right track. Yeah. You know, this people are yeah. liking your voice. They're liking what they're hearing. They're yeah. asking for you to come and sing. Cool. They want you to. So I, I think I always had that nice reinforcement of, Hey, people, people yeah. like what you're doing. So keep doing it. And it's being, it's being received well. That's amazing. So, um, that was, I think that was part of, of the time spent was well spent because I was getting great feedback back, but mm -hmm. you know, my dancing, I was just as involved in dancing as I was in singing and probably more hours per week yeah. training that way. And I had great mentors, um, dance wise growing up and, and felt like I had, um, some ability as a dancer, yeah, you cool. know? Um, and because I worked with these, I worked, I worked with this guy named Ron Cisneros, Cisneros. I can't even say his name right now. <laughs> Ron Cisneros. Cisneros. Anyway, he, he'll forgive me. He's he's my dear mentor from my childhood. And he did all the choreography for Music Circus in Sacramento, which wow. is one of the top 
um, summer stock theaters, you know, that happens. And for years he did the choreography there. So he was my dance teacher and choreographer for a lot of the shows I was in. And I kind of picked up on, Mm. on, on his, you know, what he was crafting and how he was doing things. So he was, he was a big influence for me. Um, I had many other dance teachers that I rubbed shoulders with and I just kind of really focused on how they were telling a story through dance. So really a lot of my original, my, a lot of the work I did when I first went to Los Angeles was as a choreographer and I got into things as a choreographer first. Yeah. And then I was teaching also. So, you know, I had students. And that was after college? That was after college. But, you know, leading up, I think I just, I, that was my passion. And I loved, like, learning to self-accompany. I started when I was 12 Mm -hmm. thinking, can I play and sing? And I have my students do that now. I, I, It's really valuable. I say, you need to be able to self-accompany. You want to be able to, you know. Even for practice. Yeah, just, you know having that ability. So had great piano teachers. So, um, in college, I mean, in high school, um, I studied from Richard Klinger and Art Crown and they were, um, Richard was just a beautiful technician. He had studied with George Shearing and so, you know, concert pianist and, well, and then, um, Art Crown was just masterful at teaching, jazz piano and That's theory and, and learning how to self-accompany it and learning how to... You had so many resources. You know, oh, That's it was amazing. Great. And I just kind of soaked up those two people. And then my voice teacher was Jerry Klinger, who was the wife of Richard Klinger. And Jerry, Jerry and Richard and I, they're like my other parents right now. Both That's my parents amazing. are passed away. So I look at them as... My, They've been nurturing my, you since you were yeah, a child. Forever. And we still... I, I'll beautiful. go visit them in Sacramento. When they're in town, they'll come see me. And I just they are definitely still a part of my life and a part of my, my team yeah. of, of support still. If you, you know? can like, remember, like, what did your identity feel like? Like as a teenager, like, did you feel like, did you, what was your kind of artist identity? Like, like how were you sort of seeing what you were doing? Like, just what did you feel like? You know, the hard thing in, I think growing up might have been a little bit that I was spending so much time perfecting something Mm. and nobody else. I had a group of friends from the greater area of Sacramento that performed, that I performed with. And when we got together, we were on the same page, but going to school, I was the only one, you know, maybe one or two of us that super focused on it. So I don't think it was really appreciated by my peers that I was isolated. Yeah. So I had to be, I felt like I had to kind of, um, not neuter it. Yeah. In front of them, I needed to kind of, and is that because they would give you like a little bit of a vibe of like, you're a show off or something like that? Or was it more just like, they didn't get it? Probably, probably more that they didn't get it and that they, you know, I, I wanted to be friends with them, but but I didn't want them. I'm always, I still do this today. I don't want people to feel overwhelmed Oh, Jen, by who so, I am. Is that funny? <laughs> no, that makes me sad. I but no, I get it though. Cause I do the same thing. And it's, it's, it's another one of those things that I, I'm, I was saying earlier. And like, I, I really mean it. Like I'm, I'm really focusing right now on like trusting my instinct. It's something I've never done because I was raised by narcissists and I was learned <laughs> to, I was taught to it completely ignore my instincts. 
but I'm, I'm thinking about it. It's something I kind of like meditate on regularly, but I think I do the same thing. I'm, I'm so worried that I'm going to be too much for people or not enough of the right thing. Because when you're passionate, like that can be overwhelming to people. Oh, I, I really I, get that. I seriously remember one of my dear friends, who's my dear friend today, saying to me when she first met me, she was very overwhelmed by my confidence mm. and she just didn't think she was going to like me because I was just way too confident. Oh, and, and yet we became really close friends. And to this day, we've been friends oh. for 35 years. She goes, yeah, I just in the beginning was very overwhelmed by you. But her telling me that was funny because I started when I had to move to a new location or, you know, when I moved from Los Angeles up to the Pacific Northwest, my initial thought was don't overwhelm anyone. Just, just be really quiet about who you are and don't let, don't let, and I really didn't get that chance in the Pacific Northwest because I immediately went into, Hey, will you direct this? And, you know, and I started, I just started doing those things. Oh man, I really get it. Even moving here, um, I just try, I, Anytime I start in a ward, I just, I feel like I just need to be quiet and I just need to sit yeah. back here and not let, Gosh, let, let I people totally know, but then I'll be watching something or someone will say something to me and I go, they have no You've idea. got to involve yourself. They have no idea what I know <laughs> or what I've done or uh, do you know what I mean? I'll be well, in situations where I just think I just need to let other people shine well, and I just be really quiet. Like this idea that people are, you know, have some people in the past have been like overwhelmed by your confidence. Were you, were you actually confident? Yeah. And what, what was that like? Like, what did it feel like? I don't, as like a, as a, as like a teen or like early twenties, like, I think it wasn't, I wasn't cocky. I wasn't like, I didn't have an ego about it. I had just had so many experiences experience where I had to be courageous and do something and it, and it worked well for me Yeah, that I really, that I realized confident, you know, confidence does not, is not handed to you. It is oh, earned yeah. through courageous acts yeah. of doing. Yeah. And, you it's know, really if you've true. had a lifetime of being courageous and performing and working on your skill and, and having people give you great feedback that helps you become better. And, and, you know, I have this thing about criticism. I'm, I love people to help me become better and to give me great feedback, but yeah. I don't, I don't allow everyone to do that. I have a few choice people that I will seek that information from because I know them. Yeah. I know their skill level. I know that they love me and want me to be better. And those are, that's kind of my criteria for feedback yeah. is who are you? What wow. do you know? Do you love me and want me to be better? Or are you, that's amazing. Or, or, do you not have yeah. this skill set to give me the feedback I need? I don't really want to hear some from people you. People <laughs> can't. I mean, uh, this is something I was just thinking about recently. Like, I've had some like family things this these past couple months that have just been sending me into like a little bit of a backslide. Like, I have feelings that I kind of thought were gone that have kind of been coming yeah. back. So I've I've been kind of just wrestling with a lot of kind of existential things lately. <laughs> and one thing that I have kind of been looking at recently that I've never, I haven't thought that much about before is I think I have a weird mix of like a certain type of confidence. Like I'm, I'm dogged in certain ways and have been like that since I was a little kid, just stubborn and kind of bossy, you know, like some of that's baked in, but also like deeply insecure because I have attachment trauma, you know, like when you're rejected by your parents, there's just pain there. And I, I frequently find myself the target of like, I I get this feeling that a lot of people in my life, like kind of want to take me down a peg. Like it's just something that I've encountered 
my whole life, like since I was a child um, of just like, I, I think you think you're hot stuff. Like let's, and I just feel like, how can I stop giving off whatever it is that's <laughs> making people think they need to take me down a peg because uh, you know what? I don't Here's need to be taken thing. down a peg. You know, we all have moments of insecurity and you know, and even, even I've had moments, you can't become really good at things without being super insecure at some point with whatever you're trying to become, because you are in the process of learning. And I remember just trying to feel like I was getting the information I needed to become Mm -hmm. better. And in the same respect, those feelings of insecurity, you know, can, can keep us from becoming. Absolutely. And so it's the balance between not being so afraid that, that you don't explore or even put yourself out there when you're not quite super ready. I think that's the thing that I do (laughs) and have always done because of that stubbornness. And because when you, when you grow up with parents who just aren't nice to you, don't support you, never tell you anything nice about yourself, you, you learn that either you'll never do anything because no one's ever going to say, Hey, you should do this. You'll be good at it. You're just never going to be told that. Um, so you either just don't do anything or you do it, even though people are saying you're going to be bad at this, you'll definitely fail. (laughs) And I think I learned as just a little kid again, because I'm stubborn and bossy that I had to do things, even though people were telling me you'll probably fail. And so I think I have learned to put myself like kind of boldly in places where I'm not even remotely comfortable. And I think maybe that's like, I think maybe that's like where the rub is. Yes. <laughs> like that's where it happens for well, me. And I'm not, cause I'm like, and, I'm terrified. <laughs> Don't be mean to me. You know, I've had my moments of totally just being, you know, my feet knocked out from Unmoored. underneath me and yes. Yeah. And just feeling like, you know, and even I, I want to say I have not been perfect myself in being supportive of other people, but I want to be. And, and so my underlying, you know, plan is to become that supportive friend to everybody. But I have moments of insecurity too, where I think, uh, you know, this is, this is my area. Don't step into my area or, you know, or, you know, but just recognizing that ultimately I want everyone to succeed. There's, you know, we, we all rise together, but, but there, I've had moments of insecurity myself where I've said and done things that I'm not proud of about, you know, whatever. So, but I feel like I'm, I I continually try to grow in that area of, I feel like I've seen that. I feel like I've seen you do it. Like, I, I mean, I've, I've known you like probably about 10 years, but, um, you know, more, obviously we've spent a lot more time together since the pandemic. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, we can talk about our pandemic project toward the end, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, but I feel like I've watched you become a totally different person. You know, like I think when I met you, maybe you had just gotten divorced. Yes. Yeah. Yes. About 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I have, I feel like I have seen you like evolve that was a horrible emotional time for me, yeah. but yet I grew so much yeah. in those years yeah. following, you know, you realize, Hey, this didn't kill me. Yeah. I, I feel like <laughs> I, survived. I, I really have seen you like just, just yeah. add more and more and like become more and more graceful. It's been amazing to watch. Yeah. Well, I'm just feeling, um, recognizing, I think my divorce was an interesting 
moment for me because I had moved up to support my then spouse and I went to a place that didn't really support my art or my creativity. Yeah. And, and I did explore new things and, and grew in areas that, that I'm so glad I did, a, sure. you know, where I was living, but, um, <clears throat> my teaching that I had been so important to me, yeah. um, the importance wasn't there in the town I was living. So, mm. you know, very few people wanted to have to serious have lessons. serious lessons. Yeah. They were, you know, soccer was more important and yeah. it was just a different culture there. Yeah, you and lost a little bit of your identity. Yeah. Probably. A little bit of that. And, and then I, and then I went, okay, if they're not interested in this, maybe they're interested in, doing more like I started a children's theater up in the Pacific Northwest. I, I, I ran one down in Los Angeles, the American children's theater in Southern California. I ran, um, I got involved with that, became the director for several years and we did, you're you so know, creative. I it was love crazy. It. And then I went up to, to the Northwest and I, and I just went, well, my kids are young. I would like them to have these experiences. Yeah. So I'm going to do this I'll for do my it. kids. So I started so a children's theater that got huge. And, um, that's so cool. It was really fun. And they had a brand new theater that they had built for a few million, you know, it was a million dollar theater that no one was using. And yeah. I thought I'll use it. I'll, I'll, use I'll do it. something fun. So the, um, that's beautiful. Yeah. The theater director there was great. And he saw the value of these young kids yeah. getting training and then in five or six years, they were coming to his high school and his plays were yeah. all of a sudden just... He built himself a theater. He did with me. I love and so, it. So he was very supportive of me. And 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 therefore, the students I was training yeah. were growing up and becoming his That's little community. stars. That's was, that community was. thing. So it was really fun. But I, I love that. Yeah. Let, but, let's connect some dots because I, like, I, I want to know your story. So... Um, what did you end up like? What did you major in? Was it music, dance, theater oh my back gosh. then? Um, no, they didn't have the MDT program at BYU. They had nothing. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, they didn't even have. Here's the funny thing: in 1980, when I started at BYU, Newell Daly, who was the, you know, yeah, the dean of the met fine him arts. Once. He might have even, yeah, yeah, he was the dean, I think, of the fine arts department there. He he had mentored several of my friends and he pulled me in and said he had watched me perform in high school he had come oh, wow. to performances I I had you know he came to Sacramento and watched me perform and I had been at in Utah and was he, he came, scouting or was it yes, just like a little bit of school you know, a little bit of music scouting that's and, cool and he saw me and I'm and I he talked to me and I remember everyone going that's Newell Daly this is a big deal yeah. so when I went back to BYU I was I had graduated a year early from high school I was a junior when I graduated and, and I went back in January. So I was still 17 years old and, um, was perform, you know, just taking a performance class. They'd already cast all these groups and people were not someone, someone got vocal nodes that was in that, that was supposed to travel on one of their trips. Yeah, do like a tour. And so they called me wow. and said, Hey, it's three weeks before the tour. Do you want to do you want to join us? And I said, sure. Amazing. And I was getting married. I was getting married, you know, I was going to be turning 18 and then getting oh married gosh. in July. Way too yeah. young. Wait, don't get married when you're 18. I'm just saying that to everyone out yeah. there. Wait till your frontal lobe is yeah. developed. And, yeah. and the person you're marrying, their frontal lobe is also developed because, you know, it'll yes. be interesting who you marry at that point. Mm -hmm. But um, I went on tour 
And it wasn't, I wasn't just going as an extra body. The person I was replacing had all these lead roles and oh, solos and they literally handed them all to me. So three weeks I'm learning the show shit, where I'm crazy. introducing everyone and doing the major feature numbers. And, um, it was a little overwhelming you rose to it. Well, I could, do, I knew I could do it, but I didn't think I would be, that would be the opportunity. I thought, Oh, I'm yeah. just going to join and be a, yeah. a body in the cast. Cause they was need the a body. rest of the cast furious. Um, I would say yes. Yeah. I would say it was a difficult. That's hard. But but I ended up making great friends because you won after them over <laughs> Jen, well, I was they you know, wanted to hate you so bad. <laughs> oh, there's probably some that still are annoyed that I was there. But artists but in can the long be run, so icky about that kind of stuff. In the long run, the, you know, they were just they became lifelong friends. And it wasn't your fault that person got no, notes. and they had to figure that out for themselves. And yeah. I was not a. You know, there's there's not a mean bone in my body. I just wanted to have fun. You know, yeah. I'm just there to. I'm sure they want. So was, I mean, I'm positive some of them really were wanted to not like you, and then were like, <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it. But I had fun, and then I got and then I got married, and we ended up. Um, Newell Daly called me in, and he said, "Hey, we don't we don't teach contemporary vocal music here mm. on campus. We don't have anybody that teaches it, mm. and they're all classical teachers. And I have students coming up to me." not wanting to do classical music, but wanting to sing. And he goes, I think you could be a really great teacher and could instill with them the wow. style that you have and this ability to do all these different genres. And he goes, do you want to teach this fall? And so I was 18 years old, crap, had been amazing. at BYU for one semester. and what? They hired you to teach as a yes, student? as a student. So he set me up with this office <sighs> and said, and he and he sent me, I probably had 30 students, oh which God. if you, in that day, they maybe had nine. Everyone had like nine students. And all of a sudden I was teaching that's, 30. Jen, that's crazy. How have you never told me this? That's nuts. Like, how did you learn? How did you learn to do that? Well, the crazy thing that's, was. That's crazy. This wasn't little kids. Yes, These were college like students. Older than you. Who had how did you do that oh i learned from them and they learned from me and i just my voice teacher mentored me through this whole experience i called wow. her all the time and i'd That's say okay beautiful. i've had this student that's doing this what do i do and she goes remember these exercises we did those are the ones that help with wow. that and then she said read these books and she, i got like these i had like a 10 books I was going through. And every week I would deal with this student and I would go, okay, they need help with this. And I'd go back to these books and just absorb them and call my voice teacher. And she would get me prepped for the next week. And, and the students taught me too. They were, um, like they had wisdom, but they, had, they didn't have the genre. Like, yeah. Or they would come that. in and say, Hey, I want to sing this song and here's the artist I want to sound like. And I would listen to that artist and with my instincts go, well, this is how I would approach it. And then I give them information and they, wow. and they were doing really well. So it was like, it worked. And then, wow. and then, um, I remember Bill Stoker, who was an older gentleman, he had taught Johnny Mathis and a lot of other big band singers from the forties and fifties. I'm serious. <laughs> like the, this is crazy. Yeah. Well, okay. I want to hear your story, but I like, I must ask you, I like, I want to hear it before you tell me this story. Like, how did this not give you a complex? Like how, how were you able to take all of this responsibility like into yourself and, you know, start developing an identity as a teacher while you're still a student. Like, how did you, how did you come like process all of that? 
That's well, so I think much. My voice teacher in high school had me assistant director for some of her groups. So you had some I, I just had experience. Built, just built some confidence. I think wow. it just, you know, I, I think I was confident as a performer and I had great instincts when it came to performing and how to stylize a song. And that, that has always been part of me. And yeah. so a lot of what I was doing with these contemporary singers was, it was like vocal production. It was, it was I about, see. it was about like, okay, you phrase like, this differently. Okay. Don't take your breath here. Take your breath here. Hey, what if you took a breath here? Which it was is more really like different. collaborative. Yeah, like, it was you, like you were offering like a creative approach. Yeah. Cool. But I also had deep skills. Like I remember that fall. So I'm 18 years of age, just had just gotten married. And uh, my then husband was doing the arrangements for young ambassadors. I always forget that he was a musician too. Yeah. And so I I spent a lot of hours while he was arranging things, helping him arrange the vocal parts because I had innate you Did know, you meet ideas. each other in like BYU arts stuff? No, no, no. He was, our families were in the same stake in Sacramento. You he knew he each in other fact before. dated my older sister. Okay. So I knew him when I was 12 <laughs> and I was, you know, he was this handsome musician and, and, um, that's and tricky to so have well. kind of yeah. a musical partnership. That was the best part of our marriage was our musical partnership. In fact, I don't it doubt was, it. It was, was the thing. The thing. <laughs> it was the reason that you yeah. loved him. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, I mean, that yeah. makes perfect sense. It's, yeah. it's, it's so understandable. Yeah. So yeah. it was great, you know, and he, and at that time he was quite talented and, um, I know Kurt Bester and Sam Carden, you know, they were all contemporaries and they were all doing, you know, they were all doing work together. So he was hanging. It was just a vibrant time at BYU. It sounds like oh, it was all the, you know, some of the, it's just a good time to be there. Oh, there's, and yeah. they're still doing th- those guys that were to- in this That's circle. what I'm saying. It's like, these are special, st- this is a special, special group. group. And they you kind included. of included. Yeah. And it was fun. So they're I, also still doing, things. I did all their original, like <laughs> Kurt Besser and Sam Carter, some, Sam Carter and some of their original, commercials and things. I yeah. was, you know, You're recording. I was their singer and their little it was muse. really fun. Oh my gosh. I love it. I just, I, and I like last week I was just in the studio with both Sam and Kurt. I tell my college oh, students that all the time. I said, these people you're meeting in college, I say the same thing. they're going to be your, that's, this don't, is your work. These are your work friends for yeah, life. Don't mess it up. Don't mess you know? it up. Be good. Yeah. Be good don't be people. jealous of these people. Don't be Collab. competitive with these people <laughs> in like an, in a nasty way. Yeah. Like these, these have the potential to be like your art family yeah, and your oldest yeah. confidants. And yeah, I so, totally agree. So I just started, you know, teaching Bill Stoker came along and, um, were you, were you Newell Daly, me, Newell Daly actually introduced me to Bill Stoker and said, you need to study from this man. He's, oh, wow. he has so much life, um, experience teaching vocalist for years and he's, and he needs to pass what he's learned People on to you. Always believed in you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. People just believed in you and they, well, Bill was wonderful because I I literally sat at his feet for two years while I was, the last two years I was in Provo, and just sat at his feet and soaked up. And he went over his methodology book and wow. he kept refining it. And this was his legacy that he was leaving on this That's earth amazing. was this. Yeah. And I still, to this day, Bill Stoker comes out of my mouth when I'm teaching all the time. There's and, and Jerry Klinger comes out of my, you know, these, these people that mentored me, their ideas and their it's concepts. Like lineage. It is. It is. I, I totally, I feel the same way. totally honor them. Every time I teach, I think, 
of them yeah. and I honor and revere I love that the information you think about your, your kind of art lineage. That's one reason why I find, you know, I, I know this feeling that you were kind of mentioning earlier of like feeling like, you know, other artists are kind of like getting on your area and kind of feeling threatened or feeling like a little small or, you know, these kinds of things. But I try to think of it like we all have these unique bodies of knowledge and mm -hmm. I just want to know what you know. And I want to know what Cecily Bills knows. And I want to know what Melissa Heath knows. And like, you know, all of these like singers who live around me, I just feel like we don't need to feel competitive about like, oh, I come from a different school of thought. It's not like a threatening thing. It's like there's wisdom in all of these traditions. What if we share it? You know, yeah. I feel so like, I don't know, that feels really intuitive to me. Yeah. I like and it. And it should be. Yeah. And it yeah. should be. I, I feel like now at this stage of my life, I'm mentoring a lot of teachers. That's I have cool. a lot of former students or people that are teaching that come and say, you know, help me. Here's the thing. You can understand how the diaphragm works and how breath support works, but you have to have 20 different ways of describing it. Yeah. And Amen. every student will learn from some from some bizarre way that you know how to teach it. And yeah. it's not, if, if you only have one way, which feels like when you're first teaching, like I know one thing about breathing and I know how to you teach know it this how way. You learned it. I know how I learned it. Yeah. And I know how I would teach it. And yeah. then all of a sudden you go, Oh, but I could teach it this way too. And Oh, this helped me too. And Oh, you know what? So then yeah. throughout my 44 years of teaching, I now have a hundred ways of working on breath control and breath support yeah. and based on where the student is and how they're learning and their Isn't learning style, you kind of go, okay, let me, let me approach it this way with you. Let's try this exercise. Yeah. Let me, let me, some, some I students want to know the, the mechanics yeah. of it. They're into that. And, and I would say those are very few, yeah. very few want to know me. I'm one. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Some, some so. students want you to give them a beautiful analogy. Some yes. students want you to give them a thought exercise. They want you to be like, imagine that you are walking in a forest and, and then they get it. But this is another one of those instinct things. Like, cause I've only been teaching for 12 years, 13. Um, so, you know, I'm still, I'm still building like my body of knowledge. Um, but I, I find that with the experience that I have at this point, I will sometimes have an instinct or an idea that's something I've never done before. And I'll be like, you know what? Let's, let's try this and it will work beautifully. And then I'm just like, how did I know that? Yes. It's very mysterious I, you to You know, me. I do think... It's so weird. I do feel like... Here's here's the interesting thing... Hit me. With, with dealing with humans and their talents mm. and, their, and their journey. I feel it's sacred. It is. And I feel it's sacred when someone comes and gets before me... You know, my mom used to have this phrase where she'd say, leave people better than you found them. And so my mentors that I honor are people that have left me better than they found oh, me. Right. I love that. Right. That's amazing. To, to yeah. be called my mentor or to should be revered, be, you be have the... left me better than you found me. And you gave me, gave me yourself and you, you did wow. these beautiful things for me. And I think those intuitive moments, sometimes they're very spiritual to me. Like oh, yeah. I feel like I am receiving, I'm receiving from your creator yeah. um, information for your creativity that, 
that your creator wants you to know because he, he created you with this beautiful talent and he's using me right now to help you uncover and unfold this. And I'm, if I don't have that information, he does, and he's going to give it to me and I'm going to let it flow through me to you. And I will, I will often recognize that to them. I'll say, okay, this is from God. He's, he's telling me something for you. Try this. I got a little nugget. I got a little nugget. And and yet he gave me a nugget too. He gave me a teaching nugget that will stay with me because it was like, man, that was a profound thing. And then I also believe that all the experiences that I've had teaching let me make connections. And the more experiences I have teaching, the more connections I'm able to make. And so I'm also able to create connections from the information I've already received. So that might be one way. Is just I have put things together after years of teaching, or I feel very inspired, yeah. you know, to give you this information. I think it's something so. that like people from the outside might assume like it's all very like these are things you learn and you gather knowledge. But I think you're right. It's like it's very esoteric. It's like you know a student who's sitting in front of me will remind me of someone I knew in college, and I'll be like, I remember a friend saying something that it's make. I'm thinking of it right now. And does, you know, and sometimes I'll just like reach out to that friend and be like, I have a student who reminds me of you, you know, Yeah. but I think it is like just this kind of general attunement. Yes. And then like those connections kind of, you don't even know what they are sometimes, but you, it's like, you just kind of recognize a pattern or something. But I really agree with you that it's like, it's very sacred. You have to be so full of love as a, as an Mm -hmm. art teacher. I think any kind of art maybe any kind of teaching you have to be so full of love you have to be so full of curiosity you have to believe that your student has something amazing to offer and Mm. work to figure out what it is well and you know think about the voice giving voice to emotions giving voice to you know relaxing enough that you feel safe and confident enough to let your voice come out and then to have someone standing next to you, listening to you, being super vulnerable with, you know, your voice is who you are too. It's, it's, this is, you know, and so how we talk about it and how we help them grow, we have to be careful that we don't hurt that vulnerability that they've come to your house to learn something and you can't hurt them. You've just, I've, I've had so many, I've received so many students from hurtful moments that they've come to me and they've said, I've been hurt with, with who I was studying with. And they said some horrible things to me and my confidence is gone. And, and it takes a while to heal that Absolutely. That human being to be become vulnerable again and to, you know, and to feel like that you don't have to be perfect for me. Yes. And in fact, I love to see your imperfection. Yeah. It's precious. Well, and vocally, we don't want right. every voice to sound perfect. Right. It wouldn't be thrilling for us. We love those little imperfections. Yes. We love the life and the well, humanity in someone's voice. Right. That, and we can detect a true vulnerability and we love it. Mm-hmm. So to train that vulnerability, you must be okay with imperfection and and celebrate it. Yeah. But I also like recently I've been thinking a lot about just the voice as like a a symbol for one's overall health. You know, if you feel connected to your literal voice, 
you, it's difficult to be connected to your literal voice without being pretty connected to your kind of inner voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just think, you know, I tell my students, like, especially the younger ones and students who maybe don't want to be musicians, you know, this, I like to think so big about this. Like, how does this work change how you're able to speak to a boss? How does this work change how you're able to speak to your future children? How does this work change how you can speak to yourself and you can stand up for yourself and you can Mm -hmm. advocate for yourself in a doctor's office? And I think like these things are just, we're building identity humans yeah (laughs) and if they want to keep applying those skills in music and in singing great and if they want to apply those skills outside of music those skills are still so precious and they will apply them outside of music more often than they will in music and i've I've had parents say to me had i known what my child would have received taking voice lessons from you. I would have paid you a million dollars. I had no idea. This is, you know, like it's, it's priceless things. I've had people come to me, my daughter needs self-esteem. And I said, well, I can't give her self-esteem. I can give her experiences that are hard and she can overcome and, and meet the challenge, which will help her esteem herself better. But she has to be able to meet the challenge of doing something hard and courageous You can't, I can't hand you confidence. I can't hand you self-esteem. I can hand you experiences that challenge you, that make you stretch and grow. And then you start looking at yourself like, I can do hard things. It's a reframe. Yeah. I was just telling a student yesterday, wait, what day is it? Friday? Mm -hmm. Wednesday. I was telling a student on Wednesday. Um, My, you know, one of my jobs as your teacher is to keep you on the edge of your comfort zone. (laughs) And if I'm doing my job in that way, you should never be doing anything perfectly because I'm trying to keep you on the edge of your comfort zone. And if you do that long enough, you start getting comfortable with that discomfort, which I think is the a very powerful. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. you normalize a lack of complete control. You normalize a lack of perfection um, and, you know, start to kind of value that, that presence. Every, every performance of like if I if I were to take one song that I've sung you know hundreds of times, there was never there was never the same performance ever being performed yeah. because the audience was different, the moment was different, my day was different, right. my my emotional state was different, and every part of my world comes out in that moment, and it's going to be different. It's going to be different, and 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 some days are going to feel super magical with that song, yeah. and really poignant to me, and and very touching to me at that yeah. moment. And sometimes I, I know I sang this one song that was pretty emotional. And if you think of the challenges of being divorced and then trying to sing this song, people would say is that to me, the "How Dear do you?" Evan Hansen one. No, no, this is like I love hearing like you say I, that. I did a house is not a home. And I've sung that song for years, since 1980. It's been in my repertoire. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those songs I sing all the time. I have yeah. an arrangement that I've um, that Bill Stoker helped me create. And, and so it's been in my world for 45 years. Yeah. And when I sing it, there's been moments emotionally when I could not tap into what my, my experience was yeah. right then about this song. Yeah. Or the emotions of the story are so close to home. But I could step aside from it and still tell the story of a woman singing this song and have it not be my story mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. And so everyone goes, how do you get through that song without crying? And I said, I'm telling you a story, not right. my story. It's a little, dis- it's like disassociated <clears throat> from your yeah. person. 
I totally get that. I mean, this is, this is something that I think about pretty regularly because these topics do come up. Like, you know, your students start crying when they're singing or they can't, you know, and, and so I think about this moment that, um, I was singing for my mom's, um, we had like a life celebration, like kind of right when she went off all her chemo is kind of like a pre funeral. Yeah. And she had asked me to sing of all things, um, Christina Aguilera's blank page <laughs> and, um, for good from wicked. Oh my! And gosh. I was like, these are bad songs to have me sing right now. <laughs> like, yeah. and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this because I was dealing with so much grief, like from her just being such a terrible mother. And, you know, just knowing that she wanted me singing those songs because it would make her look good. You know, it's like, it's like (laughs) I said before, it's like, you want to have a child, you can show off, but we don't actually value, you know, the thing. And people said to me, like people, everyone was coming up to me and being like, I could really tell that you really felt that. And I was like, I wasn't feeling anything do you about know, do you know this. What you, that's when you say, you know what you realized is how great an actress yeah, I am. <laughs> yeah. What you don't know is that like, I have a skill set that would blow your mind. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like that. I just like put myself in a different place, put myself in a different character. Yeah. I'm all about the story. Yeah. I would, I would say a song has, to, I have to feel some connection to a story yeah. and some idea that I want to share. I do much better with a song from a character's point of view about a situation or mm-hmm. a song that speaks on something that I feel, you know, I connect with. Those mm-hmm. are the songs I choose to sing yeah. and want to do stories you know. Let's talk about how you build a story. Ah, I love it. Okay. Well, because you you'll remember I hired you yes, to then, t- to teach on this subject, <laughs> but then you could you were not well. You couldn't make oh, it. I had the worst food poisoning from Paris, France, that anyone should ever experience. <sighs> I'm and so, so I feel sorry. We'll do it one day. We'll do it. Yeah. We're gonna do it. Anyway. It's we're gonna happen next May. Okay. Um. But uh. But I love the way you tell stories. So. I'll just say for the listener, Jen put out an incredible album this past year and asked me to listen to it um, before it came out. And I listened to your songs just over and over again and just was like crying, like just <laughs> listening to your voice and these beautiful stories and the vulnerability. And I would love to hear you just talk about how you tell stories, how you're thinking about it, how you use your how you use your voice as a vehicle for these stories. Like just share some I of believe- your thoughts. Okay, so as I'll talk as a technician for a second and, and and how I approach something, you know, there's lots of ways as a vocalist that we um, can tap into stories. Yeah. We can tap in dynamically, like when we're, you know, to tell a story, we, we might think of where's the rising action of this story? Where's the big moment of the mm-hmm. story? Does it come down? Does it start big and then totally melt for the rest of the song, does it, is it, you know, is it one, two, three, yeah, four, you know, so I look at the verses and how, how the story in the verses might be developed and where the strong point is, is the bridge, the climax, or is the last time I sing the chorus, the climax, or, you know, or is it the last time I sing this line, you know, so I like to look at the arc of the story like a storyteller and then maybe apply dynamics to that idea that maybe I'm, I'm just simple during the first verse and maybe I become a little 
you know, vocally more dynamic on the next, and then maybe I'm at the height singing this bridge. So I, so dynamics are, I think is one way that you can tell a story. When you say vocally more dynamic, you, you're talking about volume. I'm talking about volume. I'm talking about tone. I'm talking about, cause my tone, like I could be very, I know you can, you know, know, (laughs) like I can, I can sing something and really not be expressing a ton of resonance. And then I could be still singing very softly, but you can yeah. feel that I've just warmed my voice up. And then I could feel like yeah. I've just, I've reached the emotional depth and I really haven't become louder. I've become broader and my yeah. tone has changed. My inflection, my inflection, my, you know, my grounding in my voice, my yeah. resonance, everything. You're painting. Everything. I'm painting with everything I've got, with yeah. every color. Well, the thing I, I wanted to tell the students, the thing that I was telling my students leading up to your class was like, I was talking with them a lot about like painting with your, your small brushes. So we, we think, I think, vocal students and, you know, no thanks to like American Idol for things like this, (laughs) but vocal students in the present day can get very like chest voice, mixed voice, head voice, belt, you know, they can get fixated (laughs) on these like broad, uh, buckets, you know, Mm -hmm. that they're kind of like, it's red, it's blue, it's yellow, it's white. Um, and you know, talking with students about like, you're forgetting, like, you're forgetting there are hundreds of colors. You're getting so fixated on register. I, I find that oh, students are yeah. fixated on register. Well, and then, and they'll and they'll. It's sometimes I say stop, stop analyzing. Yeah. That what what what, what register? register you're yeah. using? Just forget that for a second. Or even like mixing, like mixing can be, and and, and I look at mixing as I've got this chest resonance and I've got this head resonance. And will I mix that? I'm mixing them. And maybe, maybe right now you can hear a little bit of resonance, but I'm more head voice dominant. Yeah. And I then think of maybe it like percentages. It's like yes. 80 20. Yeah. You know, exactly. Like we have two, you have two, we have two dimmer switches. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. And mixed, exactly. so mixed voice can be, mixed voice is a spectrum. It's a, yeah, of, of a huge spectrum. Yeah. Huge spectrum. Yeah. And then, you know, when they talk about belting, I have, I can belt. I hate it. I don't like how it sounds mm. on anybody's it's voice. It's very shrill. I've, there's very few people that I've heard them belt an entire song out that I thought, man, I enjoyed that whole song. You know who it is? It's Led Zeppelin. It's Robert Plant. <laughs> like, I, I think belting is meant for rock and roll. That's, either. That's my hot or take. Go maybe, ahead. <laughs> maybe it's one one note. note. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it's one, like, like um, uh, so big, so small. Yeah. Like there's a moment in there where I belt one word. Yeah. One word only. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's it. That's yeah. probably in the whole album. That's probably the only moment yeah. that I am quote unquote belting. Yeah. And I, if someone said, I need you to teach me how to belt, I go, no, you really don't I want feel me. the same. Well, well <laughs> maybe I'm, what you want me to do is teach you how to do a chest dominant mix because mm. it's healthy. Yeah. You have more control. You have dynamic control. You have, you know, it just, Very rarely will I want to hear you sing yelling at me. I thought you were going (laughs) to say something else, but I agree with you. Like, I mean, I, I, I do belt, but mostly in rock, like mostly I'm belting when I'm singing sweet child of mine, you know, like I'm doing like a, like a, a rock that sounds like a male vocalist, you know, but I'm doing like a rock belt, but but I just feel like when students talk, when students are obsessive about belt, that will make me like 
not want to teach it. You know, I'll be like, let's teach you to appreciate some other things, you know, because I had this beautiful student who had this, you know, she could yell, she could sing and yell so beautifully. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) And she could, she could belt, but I, I said to her, I, I get tired I get tired of listening to that song at that level throughout the whole song. You're just wearing me out. You're giving your, your voices, you're sending your voice all the time to me and you're never pulling your voice in or letting your voice. I, you know, Billie Holiday has this amazing quote that I think about in my teaching and read to my students all the time. I'll give it to you. I'll, I'll send it to you. But she talks about, um, or rather it's, it's from her biography. So, Maybe it's not her quote, it's a quote about her, but, um, the, the writer says she, her voice was unburdening, meaning like it wasn't a burden like to the listener. And he says something like it was so understated that it would give you the feeling that you were talking about your deepest heartbreak with your best girlfriend at your favorite bar. But when singers do that burdening thing, it's yeah. about them. It's like it's centered around they're the sending, vocalist. They, th- they actually think they're being generous yeah. by sending their voice out It's a burden, though. It takes so much but energy to consume it. But that's a lot for an audience it. to take. Yeah. So I, you know, there's one of the ideas that I teach is lines of force with singing, that there's moments when I need you to understand this phrase, and I'm going to send this out to you. And then there's moments where I need something from you, and my voice will change because the direction mm. that I want you to feel the voice going is coming from you to me or maybe my voice, I'm going to send my voice up because I'm, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, that this next line is really how I feel. Or maybe I'm confirming down to the ground. Mm. This is how I feel. This is, you know, I'm confirming that this is how I feel about things and it's not going out to you. It's It's flowing through me down to the ground. Like I know this, I know this, I don't need you to know it. I know it. Right. So there's these four beautiful classic lines of force that storytelling mm-hmm. could totally change your song just Absolutely. by, are you sending your voice to me? Are you pulling your voice into me? Yeah. Are you sending your voice up and hoping? Are you confirming your voice down? Oh, and, and, you know, so that's, that, beautiful, that's a beautiful storytelling. Who taught you that? Is that yours? That is a Carrie Margolis. Cool. Carrie Margolis uh, is another one of my mentors that I've found back in 2010, 11, I was, I was wanting to, um, steep myself a little bit deeper into acting Mm. and she was teaching all over the country. And every time I tried to find a a class, you know, I was looking all over for workshops. She was a special guest artist that year everywhere. Mm. It was UCLA. I don't know, everywhere. And I thought I need to learn. And then I was watching videos and I thought, Oh, she's amazing. She's special. She's intriguing. She's special. I've got to see her. I always miss her when she's here. Yeah. Yeah. I always, I mean, I'm working all the time. I know. I know. But she's, so I went and took her educators workshop and I got eventually certified over several years, several hours in her methodology. And now we work together. We're doing a online, eventually an online, um, Margolis for singers. It's called the performative singer. So that's my, you know, not just to be a singer, but a performative singer that knows the nuances of storytelling. Oh, it's so beautiful. So it'll be fun. Yeah. These nuances, these little brushes. It's my favorite thing about singing, like moving your tongue in like just the tiniest way. And it changes the feeling or tucking in a little more breath or, 
just putting the, like, you know, we talk about vibrato as if it's like on off, but like how many types of vibrato, how can you use this as an evocative tool? Yeah. What are your eyebrows doing? You know, if you have the, if you have the gift of being able to perform in front of people versus a recording, your body is yes. so much, your fans. Oh, and, and Margolis method, it's like I was intuitively doing it with my students for years but she gave me a methodology to actually cool. take them through the process of how to build charisma as a performer. It's mm-hmm. not an elusive gift that only a few in the world get. Right. Charisma can be learned. And so learning how to engage and invoke emotions by how you display yeah. and how you physically move and, and it changes your voice. If I am, if I am, contained and wanting nobody in the outside world to know how I'm feeling. And I'm singing to you in that kind of like, like you're hearing my inner thoughts. It's like a monologue. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is what's going on inside of me. And then to open up and to feel like now I'm going to be open and allow you to see what's inside and going on. And then maybe at the same time, maybe I'm sending my voice to you very thinly or maybe I'm pulling it very thinly, or maybe I'm broadly sending yeah. my voice out. And so all these different textures, that's, a, that's, Carrie Margolis is a, she's a genius and she's a gift to, to acting in, in America right now. Is she Her, a singer? She is an actress. Okay. She's, and she's a, she's just spent a lifetime with this method. Wow. You know, I think it's her 40th year with this methodology that she started because she was frustrated that acting was not practicable by yourself, mm-hmm. that you couldn't, you couldn't go into a room and practice something mm-hmm. like a pianist could practice right. or a vocalist or a ballet dancer, yeah. you know? So yeah. she wanted to give actors a workshop, a work, uh, something that they could do yeah. and practice a practicable cool. art. And so I love her methodology. It's just amazing. She, yeah. So when you're crafting a story for like your record, mm-hmm. are you like, I'm, I'm, positive that there's, you know, you're being present when you're singing it, but in your practice, are you also being a strategist about like, I really want this to hit this way? Like, are you kind of thinking about how you'd like to make those things happen? Or are you just, is it, is it mostly that kind of in the moment honesty? Oh, I, it's, it's in the moment honesty done so many times that it's been, (laughs) It's been honed. I, yeah. you know, it's like, it's I'm not going to love something the first time I sing it because I'm still exploring the material and I'm Re- researching it. I'm you know, workshopping says, it. Research the lyric. Yeah. And I think about that all the time. Like that's one of those things that like I carry around yeah. from her. Well, yeah. And it's going to be, you know, if I'm going to totally understand how to sing so big, so small from yeah. Dear Evan Hansen. First of all, I'm I'm reading the lyrics through. I'm getting the gist of what is so big, so small. Why does it? Cha- why does so big, so small? Why is it sung so many times and yet means different things every yeah. time she sings it? Right. It's like why there's subtle differences. In, yeah. You know, How, did did someone teach you to do that, or is that like a? Is that something that kind of came with little Jen? I think that's probably a little Jen thing. Yeah, it's a storyteller in me and that, you know, that I, the actress in me, I would say, yeah. or something. And I think, um, I became better at it studying of with course, Carrie because yeah. I was able to explore deeper. I wasn't so surfaced exploring things anymore. I was challenging myself to get uncomfortable mm-hmm. with some ideas and try things that 
Maybe yeah. eight of my ideas are not going to work, yeah. but I'll find the brilliant one the ninth time or the tenth time. And then I remember recording that song. And That's research. It's, that song is extremely close to me yeah. as far as the lyrics. I, I had life ex- a little bit. I had experienced a moment like that, so close. And so I sang this for my boys because I felt like they had experienced this moment with me and they knew they had these emotions and I needed to reassure them yeah. I was not going to leave them. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, 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 no matter, you know, I know it looks like everyone in your world could leave you, but your I just want to, your anywhere. mom's not going anywhere. Staying I'm going right to stay here. right here and I'm, and I'm going to fail you. I'm not going to be perfect at this. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, yeah. I, I I'm going to fail over and over oh, again. And it sometimes it's, yeah. And I sang that in the studio four or five times and bawled yeah. all four or five times I was recording it because I wanted to honor my boys. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. That's beautiful. Yeah. Well, it comes through. I mean, like I said, like I sat down to listen to it and I listened to each song several times and like the first pass through just tried to like kind of just take it and like react in the moment. And then, you know, and I just felt like, so moved like to be to be that moved like through a recording it's really like a testament to like your strength as a storyteller and as like an honest artist you know an artist who's doing your very best to like you know and that's it's just it's such unsung work you know yeah (laughs) Yeah. well and storytelling to me I don't want to perform unless I'm Unless I'm in an in an environment where I can tell you a story and you're going to be hearing it, I'm not a I'm not a I'm not a go out and sing in a club while everyone's eating and talking and and it's just not my vibe. It's just not it's not my joy and my artistry. My my joy is let me let me tell you a story and let me have you feel something. It's almost like a theatrical experience for me. and it's funny because I'll say this to my jazz friends and they go, oh, just use your club dates as your, you know, it's just like you're getting paid to practice. practice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I thought about but it it's a just, little different. Yeah, so yeah. I try to, but I'm just, for me, I like everyone sitting down. There's no food bothering them. There's no, no Well, you're so good it's at just, that. <laughs> I mean, you're so good at it. Well, I think this is one of those things where I seriously, I've been on one about this lately, but like, you know, if like as a little tiny gen, you come into the world having some instincts about stories. You have some instincts about human emotions. You have some instincts about what these pathways are between people. Um, and you find yourself gravitating towards singing and acting as a, as a, as a conduit and a modality for this skill, um, where, you know, someone else who ends up doing a profession that looks pretty similar to yours, they might be nurturing a completely different little nugget, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so I think like they might be a counselor. They might be, <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Or, well, I think I'm saying the opposite thing, which is like someone might be, find themselves in a profession that's very similar. They're singing, they're performing, they're, you know, um, they're teaching, but, uh, but the thing that they do is a completely different thing than what you do. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. we find like medium is just, yeah, I don't know. Cause I think a lot of the things you're saying, I feel like I know some of those things, like some of the things you're saying, I feel like, oh yeah, like that feels really deeply true to me too. 
Um, and it's no shock that we have like a, an artistic kinship. Yeah, like yes. this is clear, but definitely other things that I feel like my biggest strengths are like in a different spot, you know? And I don't know. It's just, I think my point is just feeling confident about the way that you want to do your art, I think is great. Yeah. Like, and just, and it's okay that I don't want to do this or I don't want to do that. That, that does this other thing is great. probably can't yeah. do, you know, these other things that you yeah. do. It's just. Yeah, I feel very like it, it's just because of how I find joy, joy. in my art. Yeah, yeah. You just don't. It, yeah. You don't get that beautiful result that you love, which is the present connection with the yeah. audience when you're creating a story, and they're not there, and they're not yeah. there with you. I think you know it's interesting thinking about the acting side of it and being able to put your shoes into the story of a song based on what is this character experiencing now so big so small you know i i could have been that character and yeah. so so that's that's where the emotion for that song but i can also step out of my world and i could express it like the character in the play would be expressing it yeah. which would be a little bit different than my expression of it yeah. i tried to sing that song for me yeah. and not as a character. I love that distinction. That, do you know what I mean? I do. Well, I talk about <clears throat> this with my students too, because I have all of my students do Broadway music at least once a year. I just, uh -huh. I demand it yeah, of them yeah. because I think it's so powerful, but I, I allow them to decide whether they want it to, if they want to perform the Broadway song kind of like a pop singer, like it's their story or if they want to perform it, like it's the character's story. Cause I totally hear you. Like there is a distinction there. Yes, yeah. Is yeah. this one mine or is, or am I, am I, um, employing empathy to try to understand what this other well, hypothetical and, and human think would about feel? it to be a really great actor or storyteller. You have to see the other person's point of view. You can't see the world through your lens all the time. And I think part of my growing up with my parents, especially my mother, um, my mother would often, if I came complaining about someone's behavior towards me, like so-and-so did this to me at school mm -hmm. and, oh, they were so mean and they did this. My mother's first reaction was, what did you do? Yeah. What do you do? What did you do? How do you think their day was? How do you think their life is? Do you think, you know, can, can you read deeper into yeah. the behavior than just that event? Right. Can you look at their life and say, it. say, where, where are they coming from? What happened to them that morning that maybe they were not okay yeah. that day or, or, or what buttons could you be pushing? Like, even if it's not like, oh, that's your I, fault. Yeah. Sometimes when and that's people, what, that's what she would, you know, it was yeah. like, you know, did you, were you doing something? Did you feel jealous? And, and, and then she's reacting. Or of, I think you know, sometimes or you just remind someone of someone they have an issue with, you know, like, yeah. especially maybe less so for kids, but as an adult, I think this more and more, if someone just is nasty to me, I just think, I wonder if I just reminded them of someone, someone yeah. a bully, you know, yeah. I reminded them of a bully and they're projecting that onto me. Or I think about how frequently I project my mom onto people and I really try to keep it in check. I really try <laughs> to pay attention. I, but you know, I try to be aware of it, but if there's a woman who reminds me of my mom, I have a real hard time liking that person, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I have to really try to remember, like, if they have some similar personality traits, it doesn't mean they're a narcissist. It doesn't mean they're going to be abusive, but I can sometimes, even just if a woman dresses like my mom, you know, yeah, I can get a, yeah. I can Divide. get a little, yeah. <laughs> so I try to think, you know, that's certainly that's happening the other way too. Certainly sometimes I just 
remind someone of someone in their life that has been a hard person. Yeah. You know, and even if I haven't done anything right now, that also doesn't mean that there isn't like a reason yeah. why this person is like emotionally weird yeah. right now, you know? The, and the weird thing is I think you can take these experiences and you can apply them in your singing Absolutely. all the time. Like there's moments when I'll sing a song and I'll go, you know, the, this character singing this song has had these experiences and because they've had these experiences, their, their filter is this. And yeah. so when they're expressing something, they're a little bit more dramatic than I would be about this. Right. And I so having it. fun with that, I think, you know, some of the other storytelling things, even how you pronounce a word, yes. how you end a phrase, where you take the breath, how, you know, when you come in for the phrase, if you back phrase, if you forward phrase, if you, you know, what you change to make it unique in that moment. All these things can... Little brushes. You know. Just your tiny just little tiny brushes. Just tiny little brushes. And it's like, and you could sing. I've I've spent, I remember spending one hour in actor mode working on a verse of a song and all the different ways I could interpret it and, yeah. and how it just opens your eyes to all the possibilities of... Even when you mm. perform it, when would you gesture? Yes. And maybe if I, what would happen if instead of gesturing during that phrase, what if I gestured first and then did the phrase? Yeah. What if I did the phrase and then did the gesture? Yes. I mean, all of those things shape the song. It's so like you're a chef building a recipe. Yeah, it's so cool. I love it so much. Well, and I, you know, I've been saying this on the podcast a lot recently because this is kind of a meta experience for me. Like I've been doing this now for like four years and now the conversations that I've had with other artists can't help but inform whatever conversations I'm having now. And I find that there are so many things like this across medium, like people who are writers, people who are doing like crafts, you know, they're ceramic workers or they're, you know, they're working with metal, um, people who are performing artists, people who are making films. Uh, there are such, uh, archetypes for like, what is driving the artist? Like what is kind of going on? And I think what you said before, like, you know, you can use these interactions with people in your storytelling. It's like chicken or the egg because, so much of the creative work that we do is mental and it's observing. It's going out into the world every day, looking for stories, looking at people, asking questions, just your, your entire experience in the world as a storyteller informs your storytelling. And then being a storyteller out in public changes how you are a person you know it's just I've I at, at times feel a bit like a savant when course, it comes to yeah. reading people tell me everything you know I mean? it's like yes, I, I feel like I can I write you know I can read micro expressions yeah. and I don't know if it's be, is it because it's a gift I have and it's led me to 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 acting and, or is my acting led me to read both, micro sure. or both, you know, they kind of go both ways, but it's I probably like a push and pull. I am usually 99% right yeah. in my impressions when I'm dealing with someone just by their, by, by their body language. I can kind of read, yeah. I, I read people and it's kind of a scary gift too, because I draw conclusions very quickly yeah. and I, I allow myself 
to be wrong every time I said this could be the 1% you're wrong on. So just just observe. I was going to ask, and, is yeah. there a certain type of person that you get wrong? Like, is there a certain oh, type of thing you um, get wrong? I think um, narcissists are really hard yeah. because they're actors themselves and yeah. they play a role. And But there's certain tells that I feel like yeah. I, and they're more verbal tells than they are physical tells mm. that what comes out of their mouth actually betrays what they're trying to act. Yeah. So I feel like narcissists are an interesting breed of human being because um, they have learned how to navigate the world and get what they want by acting and, and, you know, and so convincing and so convincing. And then you kind of go, and then you, I've had to become, you know, keenly aware of that and the language. And I'm, I'm, I'm a lot better with it today than I was 15 years ago. And I, I, I don't need, I don't even think I was aware of that personality trait until 15 years ago. I think I just kind of, it, it, you know, it was brought to my attention and then I studied it and then I, yeah. and then I would, but I tend, oh, I, totally get that. I tend to, um, I tend to see a lot of them in my world. Yeah. Um, I'm a very strong, well, and it's because of who I am. I'm a very strong person who makes things happen and I'm a very strong person who supports other people and helps them make their things happen. And so I, they are attracted to my personality of a supporter who knows how to Mm -hmm. make them feel all the good feels. I'm an asset to them. And then I just, I have to have boundaries. It's hard. Yeah. It's really hard. It's really hard. Just have to go. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like I'm always also giving myself, um, I try to understand that I could be wrong, but I also feel like I'm pretty good at reading people probably because I was raised by narcissists. You know, you get good at like going a couple steps down, but, um, I try to, I try to imagine, I try to think creatively, like using kind of a reverse storytelling skill to try to think what's the absolute most flattering way I could interpret this person's actions. Like what truth would make these actions the most defensible, like the most good, you know, and like then adjust the model. Well, that's what I feel like. uh, You know, I feel like if my reading comes off like, uh, this person makes me nervous or I don't know if I want to be around this person. That's when I think I could be wrong. Yeah. And I always feel like I give them a longer chance, Yeah, but I'm usually, I'm usually spot on. And and the beautiful people are always beautiful. Mm. They they never Mm. surprise me. (laughs) They never disappoint me. But if I have a negative response to someone's body language, I do give them time because I think there's so many elements. Could be could be, they could, could be, be nervous. They could be, they well, could be sick. They could be, they could have had a bad I day. About, <laughs> sometimes I think about the ways that my parents raised me to be in the world and they raised me to be a shitty person. You know, like, like I know there were things in you my, <laughs> I'm not anymore, but I know that there were things in my early twenties that I was very jealous. I was very afraid. Um, I made things about myself that were not, you know, cause that's just how, that was what was modeled. Like I, you know, I, I made things, I, I had such terrible skills for dealing with people because I had been raised by people who 
had such terrible skills for dealing with people. And I'm grateful for all the people in my life that have been patient with me um, because those ways I was behaving were happening because of trauma, you know? Mm. Um, and I have, is that usually the I don't case do it with, anymore? The, you know, isn't that I don't the do case that anymore. with all of us when we behave badly, it's probably right, from, which is because we think... come into this earth so beautiful and pure and our experiences lead us to these crazy places sometimes. And yet we have the ability to self-reflect and our personality is not permanent. Yeah. We can change. And I like that idea. I don't like, oh, it's just the way I am. No, it isn't not yeah. just the way you yeah. are. It's a, it's a way you're choosing to be. And you could choose to be differently. You have raw material. Yeah. You have experience that you're not in control of. You can take those raw materials and that history and that experience and you can build a new thing. Yeah. Um, and I hope we never stop building. No, no. And I, I'm still growing. I'm still overcoming. I'm still feel like I yeah. need therapy lessons. I, you know, yes, I just therapy sessions. Do. I don't know. Just, yeah. So it's, you, it's okay. It's yeah, okay. I think so too. And We're I, all and growing. I, and, and I, and I try to, when I meet people, I have a really great thing that I am very forgetful of some things. Yeah bad experiences yeah. or bad, you know, that when I meet someone after a while, I don't really key into what went wrong. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It's like fresh start. Yeah. I'm seeing someone I haven't seen for a long time. I'm imagining they've grown as a human being Yes, and they're different. And that took me a while to be able to do that. It's a skill to have, for sure. Yeah. To be able to go fresh start for this person. I'm meeting them again, five years later. And even though they acted five years ago, a way that I didn't want to be around them. Yeah. I'm going to give them a new chance, see if they've it. grown this last five years. And I, I think that's that. good, isn't it? It's <laughs> so abundant. Well, and it, what a dark place I hope people do that is. for me. <laughs> I mean, the truth is they probably don't. You know, I think mm -hmm. most people don't do that, which is one reason why I, like, I always talk about this on the podcast because obviously creativity is not limited to artists, obviously. Mm -hmm. But I do think that it's very difficult to be an artist without really wrestling with some of these topics. And I think artists tend to be generally better observers. Artists tend to be maybe a little more willing to ask questions, a little more willing to change their mind, I think. And so I love, I love talking with artists about their art and their mediums and their creative development. And then I usually like to end the conversation in a place of like, well, how do you apply these skills to humanity? Like, what do these things mean? And and the reason it feels like a powerful conversation to me is because if we're talking about how we do it, what it feels like, I think people can learn. But I think most people think if this person was kind of a bad egg as a 12-year-old, they're probably a bad egg now, which is insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. To, you know, imagine that someone is... You, you have no idea what people are dealing with, you know, <laughs> and people are capable of so many things. I used to say when I met people, I used to give them a full trust bucket. Here's your bucket of trust and it's already full and here's Love your it. bucket. And then something would happen and the bucket would just get emptied and I'd go, oh, and, and now I like to say, hey, would you like to buy a bucket? <laughs> to start filling up the trust. And, and then it's not that I say that to them, but yeah. I just, I don't jump to the point of, you should hang that on your wall. I somewhere. know. Should like, I, that do you want to buy a bucket? <laughs> really? Like, that's like such a beautiful, like little, 
it's just a, or maybe it's your first tattoo. Well, and I think it's wisdom. Like I think it's package. wisdom. It is. Do you know what I mean? I remember saying to someone, you know, that I felt something had happened to me very traumatic. And I said, oh, I felt like I totally lost all my innocence. And they go, good. Innocence is for the young. What you want is wisdom. And it sounds like you just got a lesson in wisdom. Yeah. And I, that's, that has stuck with me that, you know, you win some you learn some, yeah. that it's not, you didn't lose something, you have gained knowledge about something. And so you are replacing that innocence of not, you know, not thinking anything can go wrong with, yeah. I, I'm wise now and I know things can go wrong and I'm okay. I can, you know, How I can navigate balance that. balance that wisdom with like curiosity, hopefulness, whimsy, like these things that are like, how do you, cause sometimes I feel like the, like the wiser I get, I can feel it in myself too. I can feel myself. I'm 35. I've been no contact with my dad for three years. I feel like a different worldview all the time. And I can feel myself like seeing my father as a sad person, you know, seeing yeah. my father as a weak person, which is really difficult when it's a big, powerful, strong person in your life and in the community. It's just one example, but I can feel myself honing these wisdoms and going like, okay, I'm starting to see this in a way that is more real. But sometimes I, I mourn like I mourn the way that that growth feels like it threatens like hope, hopefulness sometimes, or, or maybe hopefulness is too heavy. Don't you but. think, but okay. So, you know, 10 year old you or 15 year old you who was having these experiences didn't have the wisdom to understand the dynamics of how you're being treated and the dynamics of these people. And then all of a sudden you're in your thirties and you're looking back and you're saying, I am now a 30 year old. I need to go back and re-witness my 15 year old experience right. with my 30 year old wisdom. And right. I've had to do that multiple times with experiences that I've had that I've had to go, you know, you were feeling really strong emotions when you were 18 and 19 and 20 and these things happened to you. Now go back with the wisdom of your age that you are now and the things you know about people and the things you know about you know, and look at that situation again. And now how does that person's yeah. behavior affect you? You know, it's no longer about me. Right. It's, it's always like, oh my gosh, they're like, I know they if I have was extreme insecurity, they have, yeah. they, they have yeah. these issues. And I can see this now at my, my wise age that I couldn't see when I was 20 right. experiencing the trauma of it, Yeah. you know? And so there's been an ability to go, you know, I wasn't lacking. Right. I was felt I was made to feel like I was lacking in that moment, but in reality I can see they were lacking. Yeah. And I feel sorry for them and I feel sad yeah. for them and I and 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 I'm okay. Yeah. I'm okay now. And you know it's kind of like that book I'm okay. You're okay. Or uh, I'm okay. You're not okay. Or Yeah, I don't know the book, but Oh man, that's yes. like a 1970s book about psychology. It was really funny, but you know, it kind totally of is like that. I picture myself, a, a confident 35 year old woman in a room where a parent is talking to a child, the way my parents talk to me. 
And I know that I would just be like, the hell is wrong with you? Like, yeah. I would just be like, you are so embarrassing right now. Like <laughs> this, this is not adult behavior. Mm-hmm. Get it together, you know? And it wouldn't even just be like, oh, that's abusive. It would be like, that's abusive and just stupid. You know, like it's, it's just so, there's no weight in it. It's just very like, you're bad. This is just, this is <laughs> none of, this is a bad look. You should like, this is really, this is shameful. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I'm starting to feel that and then I can kind of teach it to myself, you know? Yeah. But yeah. I do sometimes feel like that the price that I pay for like that wisdom is like, I don't know, the rose colored glasses fall off the world a little bit. It's so, you know, it's that's just part of it. And that's okay. And that's okay. And you know, the older we get, we get to make choices of, of how we interact with certain personalities. I am not, um, I think my world, you know, prior to 15 years ago involved thousands of people all the time. It was always this large group of people and I was always interacting with multiple, you know, just in fact, when Kevin married me, he said, Hey, when I married Jen, she inherited three, three grandchildren and I got 3000 of her closest friends. Yeah, you know what I mean? Cause I my world it. was, I just, everyone was a That's dear cute. and close friend. I still feel very close to all these people, but my social interactions are much more contained at this stage of my nice. life. Mm-hmm. It is, it is. I've just kind of, you deserve I, it. I see, yeah, I still have these moments of enjoyment with people that I've known and loved for years, yeah. but I don't crave them. And I know why I craved them before, but I don't crave them now. Mm-hmm. I think maybe because I have a great husband and yeah. love just being with him and, yeah, you're and safe, spending you're, time. And everything feels really you're good. You're safe and I feel, in a way that you haven't ever really been yeah, before. So, yeah. so that's a good thing. And I think I used, not used, but I had these friendships to feel, yeah. to feel something, that, to make me joyful and happy. And it was where I found my joy. Yeah was in these interactions with lots of people. And now I find joy at being alone yeah. and it's okay. That's well, a good that's thing. So creative you know? too. I mean, I love the idea of creating a life and creating work for yourself and creating community. Um, I, I, I think it's maybe kind of like the last topic I'd love to get into is like, do you want to talk about what it means to like create community? I will tell you that artist of all types, but especially those that speak of stories and connections. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's um, very dry. I know I've been drinking water and I'm, I don't know what I, I think I had a protein drink and it's, it's sticky. Doing me, it's sticky. Me. It's okay. But okay. So going back to this, I feel like connecting through my art is my, my, platform as Miss Universe to create world peace if you would if you would have it that I will I remember remember when we were younger and the they go I want world peace and we was we used to laugh about that but it's funny today I want peace on yes. earth and I don't know how by myself I'm going to achieve more peace on this earth other than my my own expressions that I send out there I want them to be hopeful and I want people to connect and I want people to feel good about themselves. And, and art is the way we change the culture Mm -hmm. and every artist that puts a beautiful song out there that makes people ponder and think my student, Chris Pierce, his albums as of late are so beautiful. I love all his, all of his albums, but he's really touched a chord with singing songs that 
address issues and enlighten people and make them think deeper about topics and see things from different perspectives. And in the long run, if you listen to his songs, it changes you inside and makes you more empathetic to the plight of others that you have never experienced this before. But through his music, I've been able to have empathy and be able to connect with these stories. And that is the magic of art is being able to put things out into the world that might change one person's mind or two people's mind. And if we were all with every way we are expressing ourselves, we're trying to leave everyone better than we found them. Our world would be different. America would be different. If we thought, how are these words going to affect everyone? We wouldn't be saying horrible bully language and, you know, gentle and tender and and curious and, be gentle and loving, indeed yeah. and in thought. And <laughs> these are the things Thanks Jesus taught. I just heard that on the YouTube. With <laughs> I had to Jordan. dig deep for that one. I was like, I think I have it. I think I know it. <laughs> um, Jen, that was so beautifully said. That I and I really agree. Like, and what else can we do? But I, I mean, I think my hope is that like everyone using the strengths that they have. We'll try to think this way. How can I leave the people and the institutions that I interact with a little better? And some of us are doing that in government. And some of us are doing that in schools. And some of us are doing that in hospitals. And some of us are doing it at construction sites. In family settings. In family. You know? And in in interactions with good friends. Yes. And it's just that tiny little bit. And it takes creativity. It does. It takes a lot of creativity. Everyone can creatively leave people better than they found them. I think so too. I mean, I go through, you know, you go through the grocery line and I I see the clerk there, you know, you know, and they look like they're in a bad mood. And I always think, let's see if I can get them to smile. I do the same thing. I love it. Well, last week I was in California with my family, with the Merrill family, Andrew's family, my family, Mm -hmm. whatever, the Merrills. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can sometimes get insecure in the family because I don't have children. And, um, I don't know. I just, sometimes I feel like I'm just a little different. I don't fit in with like the other women, you know, it's I'm sure so much of it is me, you know, it's my own insecurity and it's been my mother and you know, it's just whatever these, these baggages. And maybe the fact that I feel like an, I feel like I've been rejected from my family. The stakes are weird, you know, whatever. But, um, I, I was, I've been thinking a lot lately, like, I just really want to show up as like my best self, like whatever my best self is. And, and even if it's not, I'm not offering children to this family and I'm not offering, you know, whatever these other things. And I really tried to think like, what can I do? And so I had some little moments that I feel like really proud of, which are like, uh, you know, I, I found like another child on the beach and like hooked that child up with my nieces and nephews, you know, like I was doing a little kid matchmaking, which is very, it's in my skill set. You know, I'm great at talking to strangers and, you know, and that feels helpful. And then like the kids are entertained and like this other kid is entertained and my niece and nephew are entertained. And then the other thing that I've been just having a lot of feelings about is we went kayaking out on the ocean and my younger niece and nephew were just struggling. They were like, it's cold. It's a little scary. I'm a little seasick. And I was just trying so hard to like, I was bantering with like the little tour guide, 
trying to like, you know, just, and I feel like that's what I can offer. That's what I can do. And maybe it makes your kid have like a little bit less of a meltdown, you know, or like, but I, I think, I, I think that's in line with what you're saying of just like, use your creativity to just move the needle on a situation. And maybe the thing that you can do is like, uh, let me, you know, Jimmy rig the umbrella so that we all have shade and we thought it was broken, but I'm an engineer and I'll fix it. You know what? I could never do that. That's not a service I'm going to provide fixing the umbrella. Someone can, Yes. you know, but I think thinking creatively of like, just what do I have to offer to this situation? Yeah. Um, and if, well, I love if we're all doing it, and adore do you Thanks. and so glad you came into my life. I, I think it's way. just, you know, it's been fun to watch you even grow and, Thanks. and emotionally I'm just, my you best. are, you're doing a great well, job. When you met me, I was also in a dark time. Well, and we met I, each other in a dark but time. I got it, yeah. but I got it. We got there. I got it. And I, and I understood, I understood you. Do you know what I mean? It's beautiful. like, you know, and you were very open and vulnerable about what you were experiencing. So yeah, it was, it was a was, way of going. My mom had cancer when we met. I was dealing yes. with a lot. Yeah. There was a lot going on, but yeah. you do amazing things right. and give amazing opportunities to artists. And, yes. I, and it's been nice to connect you with some of my students and yeah. have them get work from you. It's been a good thing yeah, too. I so. love it. I love it. It's all good. Uh, is there anything else you feel like is left unsaid about artistry, about creativity, any other wisdom you want to share? I just, I just say, you know, keep, keep being on the edge, right? Yeah. Stay on keep, that edge. Stay on that edge and keep trying to do things that you, that are just out of reach. Cause that's how yeah. you grow. That's how you grow. That's how you grow. And it's okay. And if we all, every time someone puts something out there creatively, you know, know that it, it was, they were on the edge. Yeah. They were on the edge trying to do that. And yes. they were trying to do something different and new. And we just need to honor love, it, love yeah. and honor it. And, you know, honor your mentors. That would be one yeah. thing I'd say is, you know, honor those that have helped you become who you are. Mm. They're in your DNA. They're in your, they're your, it's your artist lineage. It is. Like we have the biological lineage and then we have like the, the self lineage. Yeah. Yeah. yeah people that have created. Sometimes are one and the same for people, yeah. but often not. Yeah. Well, I ask everybody two closer questions so that I don't have to be scared about an awkward ending. Because an awkward ending could be so scary. Can you imagine having to like summon a perfect ending okay. for every for every question? So every, did I do it? Do I? I'm going to tell you the last question. <laughs> okay. Oh that was gosh. that would have been a beautiful ending. Okay. That would have okay. been one that was perfect. But um, okay, here they are. the The first question is: On this day, what's your dream collaboration? You can build a whole team. Who are someone or some people who you'd love to work with? I would love to work with students I have worked with 40 years ago Amazing. and, and create something as colleagues and, and, yeah. you know, instead of me being that mentor yeah. to be in an experience with them and go, let's, let's now, like a now show? share, now share with me yeah. what you've learned away from me uh, and let's, let's experience some cool things. I would, I love, I, I, love, love I love interacting with my former students in, creative ways I find it's almost like well yeah, they thank you. I feel like students who've been with you a long time know they know us in ways that like our families and spouses don't know yeah you know yeah. Like, they just yeah. they know it's such a the teacher student thing especially in an artistic environment is sacred yes it is. and it your is. students will kind of know you in a way that's very so. allows you to be seen 
Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I hope you, you should do it. I know. Let's I know. do it. I, yeah, I'm always looking. I'm and always then finally, it. tell people where to find your work. Oh, well, uh, right now, you can find things on Spotify. Yes. You can find me... In on recordings that unfortunately artists have not given me credit for. So if you try to look for my name, um, it's really sad. But I've got a lot of recordings that I've I'm a featured voice on, and so I don't know. Maybe I need to make a Spotify playlist of of me as an artist so that people can do find. It. You should do it. Um, um, I but think listen to Jen's album "Kick Off the Covers." Oh yeah, it's so beautiful. It's the most yeah, recent one, yeah. and then you're going to re-release. Consider Me, which was my 1983 release, is being re-released on digital. We, I made albums and a cassette. Do we? <laughs> so you could sell just, merch on your website. I know I should. So I'm just going to release it digitally, and I've been working on that this last year, getting that ready. And then um, I have a brand new album that I'm working on right now with um, the gentleman that helped me with um, Brent Edstrom is his name, and he's just one of the most fabulous um, pianists. And we're working on a new project that I'm hoping to record either the end of this year or beginning of next year. So cool. that'll be. And then I'm um, Brian Stuckey and I are performing and doing some um, concerts. I've got one a Broadway Loft concert coming up November 18th. Amazing. But we'll be performing around, and we do we kind of um, have channeled our voices to do some solo and duet work. Yeah. Use some of our favorite, um, like Jason Robert Brown and Stephen Sondheim. Mm. And we kind of have tapped into some arrangements that yeah. we've done that are really fun. Oh, so great. yeah. Amazing. And yeah. then if people wanted to reach out to you to talk about voice pedagogy things, like if anyone wants to, um, like pick your brain on, on this, this wisdom that this, you have, this wisdom that I have, I am just getting ready to film, some online courses that will be about connecting with storytelling. So that cool. should come out next year with Amazing. Carrie and that'll be with Carrie Margolis cool. and the Margolis method. So Can't looking wait. for the performative singer, I think if you connected with me on, um, probably on Facebook, um, I have a private one and then a, my Jennifer stop Madsen would be my like kind of public public thing. You know, music thing and cool. Instagram. I think there's, um, Jennifer, Jennifer Madsen media or something. Cool. I don't know. I'll I don't, link it in the show notes. Yeah, do it. Do it. Yeah. That'd be great. So well, you can connect with me. And then if I'm doing a workshop for teachers, you're welcome to come. Or I have people that come and just occasionally hire me for an yeah. hour and just talk over issues they're having with, um, students that they have now, like, how do I, yeah. how would you approach a student? I'm yeah. having a hard time getting them to do this. I want to do I that. Them. I want to take some lessons from you. <laughs> I do. I, 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 it's like, it's a, it's a time, it's a time issue only, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. um, my knee injury really used up all of the time off that I had planned for the winter. <laughs> So I'll get caught up again and yes, I'll take some lessons. Great. Well, Jen, thank you so much for thank being you. my friend and being so supportive of you. me. You always make me feel loved <laughs> and it's just, it's very precious. And thank you for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Thank you, you for bet. inviting me. Of this course. has been great. Amazing. Thank you. Love it. Thanks for listening to Artifice. Our theme song is As You Are from My Album Masks with artwork and merch designs by Sarah Keel. If you'd like to recommend a professional artist for an interview on the podcast, you can reach me through my website, emilymerrellmusic.com. That's E-M-I-L-Y-M-E-R-R-E-L-L music.com. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks again. Have a great week.